Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the doctor as he travels the vortex and landed episode number 128. And in a surprising move, the BBC has announced Her Majesty the Queen, Elizabeth II, will be the next doctor. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. And I'm Glenn. You heard it here first. That was awesome. Is that the announcement <laughs> I've been you. waiting for all that's day? The, that's all weekend. All, all weekend. weekend. <laughs> that was supposed to come out yesterday. They finally announced finally. it today. Yeah, well, congratulations daily, to Her Majesty. The Daily Mail scooped everyone. She's yeah. going to do a great job. Well, she, you know, she did a fantastic job in that James Bond. Oh, yeah. uh, that, that's what made them think, hey, yeah. let's cast her as the doctor. Well, and she fits so many criteria because she is an older doctor. She's uh, female. female. I mean, yeah. she, she's going to break a lot of molds. I heard a rumor that it was because her grandchild wants to do it for her grandchildren. Mm. Thinking ahead of hopefully the, the and. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Which grandchild? <laughs> Edward or <laughs> or. Uh, she she fits her, and her great grandchild. Great I guess. grandchild. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. She fits the well, pattern. Great grandchild hadn't been born yet. I know. Oh. She's thinking in advance. Oh, I see. That way, there's some, really there's, there's more of her to. Sorry, she fits the pattern. She fits the pattern. She was in Doctor Who previously, and now has been recast as a major. Uh, ah, yes, yeah. yes. That's a, that's a good point. We should have seen this coming. Yeah, it's it's, it's like Oscar <laughs> winners that we go. Oh, I was so surprised, and then you look at it and go, shouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just. <laughs> The Queen, yeah, I'd be down. Have they have they said anything about how she will actually be titled in the, when the when the title card you know her name they flies up there? Yeah, that I, would I be they're really, trying to figure it could out. be a really long title. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be a lot of letters. In I think they'll just simply say Her Majesty, Majesty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's the proper. Somebody way of... get out there and make this animated <laughs> gift opening for our Facebook page. <laughs> And get her, or her our face Tumblr in page. the stars. Or a Tumblr Have page. you seen our Tumblr page, Sean? I have been to oh our Tumblr page. Oh, my gosh. It has launched. It has lots of content. It too. does. Yeah, she's doing a great job with it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's got... I, I, I was flabbergasted. I went to the thing, and, and I just... Yeah, it's flabbergasted. It's got so much cool stuff on there. And I like the little widget that the doors and, you know, bio info. It's, it's cool. The funny thing Tumblr about page. it is, it's like, Tumblr's one of those things that I think... He, as an entity, we kind of have to have one in order to to have some relevant relevancy. On the flip side of that, the kind of stuff that people post on Tumblr—it's not something that I do that I post, but it 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 has a core target audience, which is cool. And so it was really nice that the Michelle offered to kind of you know helm that, manage that page for Absolutely. us, moderate that page because I think she's more in touch with those kind of things. I, mean, I, I I visit Tumblr every once in a while, look at some like memes and things that are posted on there and pictures and whatnot. But it's just not something I actively involve myself. So it was really good to have somebody on board that's you know enjoys that, is really good at it, and, and to able kind of take that over for us and 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 still be able to. Have traveling the vortex have a presence on Tumblr, which I think is great. So. And th- yeah, thank you, Michelle, because it looks awesome. Yeah. And we couldn't be more pleased with it. In related news, we are hiring someone to uh, to manage our Google Plus account. <laughs> <laughs> um, if anybody's out there 
I'm still using that. The cop, the cop, <laughs> your pay is credit. That's all it is. <laughs> you know, hire is a your pay is our term. congratulations. You, you can't see them on the other side of your radio, but I have air quotes about hiring. <laughs> I, that's another one of those things. You know, I started. Position. I started our Google Plus page, and I just beyond. I can't even get excited about my own Google Plus page. I, it just is nothing. Yeah. Nobody on it. There's no, I mean, there's people out there, but nobody's posting to it. You know, it seems like everybody signed up and joined, but whenever I go to I go over there. There's hardly anything over there. See, I visit mine like maybe once think, a month, I and I see Google tons of posts, but they're all people that I only kind of peripherally know in a circle yeah, somewhere exactly, else. So. Exactly. So anyway, so yeah, Facebook's still my social media of choice as far as walls and posts and things like that. So, yeah. How was you guys this weekends? It's good. My son uh, checked out uh, this week. Real Ghostbusters. I think it's Volume Two. Maybe volume three. I can't remember which one, but it it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily come in the way that like your box set did the really cool one with the ghost or the uh, firehouse. But um, just on a whim, he grabbed it off the shelf and asked if he could rent it. And of course, he's seen the first Ghostbusters film. I was like, eh, all right, we'll, we'll we'll check it out. So he put it in. He watched about six episodes in a row. <laughs> totally, totally enjoyed it. But now what has happened is he absolutely likes the first episode on the first disc, which is. Dead Con 1. It's the one where the two conventions are going on. One is the dentists. One is ghosts that are showing up. And he has watched it six times in the course of... No, seven times in the course of two days. Oh, wow. He just absolutely loves it. Twice, like, right in a row once. Uh, two times right in a row. <laughs> so do I need to loan you my season one? Yeah, that's, actually, that may not be a bad idea because, uh, yeah, he's really getting into it. He's enjoyed it. We've been watching so much Justice League, we kind of stalled out on real Ghostbusters. Uh. So. <laughs> Well, that's just it. I can't remember. I want to say it was like volume two or three, which might have been season two or three. So I, I don't remember where exactly he started off, but it's whatever season starts with Dead Con 1. So. We are somewhere in the middle of season two and haven't seen that one yet, so it's got to oh, okay. be season three. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, they, he did that. And then, of course, <laughs> yesterday went to Grandma's and uh, Fantastic Four, the first Fantastic Four movie, was on oh. TV. Yeah. And so they watched like the last third of it, and he was all excited about that. And he came home and was telling me about it, and I said, well, you know, I have that on DVD. What? <laughs> so I went downstairs and I grabbed all the Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man movies, the Tobey Maguire ones, and both of the um, uh, Fantastic Four movies, and then my X-Men collection, which I'm, I'm a little leery on that one to let him watch. But then I brought him upstairs and I said, I have these. If you ever want to watch them, so he grabbed the Fantastic Four and ran downstairs. <laughs> so he went downstairs and watched Fantastic Four. So, so he's getting into the superhero movies. Um, he has seen Iron Man. And he watched The Incredible Hulk with Caitlin and I, but really got disinterested in that one. And he's seen Avengers. So, I mean, he's seen the new Marvel stuff, but the older stuff that I'm, I, you know, I, I think is even more kid friendly. The Fantastic Four, especially because I think oh. they're both BG. Yeah. Um, so, and then I think the the, the Tobey Maguire Spider Mans are a little. More kid friendly than say the Amazing Spider Man. I can see that. Yeah, it was a little darker and whatnot. So, although that Green Goblin mask, mm. Power Ranger mask was scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had nightmares for this. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, he was, was excited so about that. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, we 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 rode bike bikes this weekend, and we played. Uh, we shot hoops out in the we we shot hoops out on the drive a lot this weekend it just was so nice and then of it course was a nice really weekend. Nice weekend. we threw grass seed out yesterday uh, which because we just keep adding to it and traveling the vortex yeah. adventures in garden yeah exactly yeah. and but anyway it rained so you know consistently last night that that we yeah. had good soaking so 
we left the we were at the mall doing some clothes shopping and as we were walking out it was dry and then all of a sudden it just started downpouring just up. <laughs> we watched uh, the wolf man how was that Saturday night. how'd you like it um, I've seen you're it. talking uh, about the new one the new the, one the, 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 the new Del Toro. Del Toro. I, I liked it it's um You've seen the original Universal's monster. It's before. been forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't know if I could confidently I say yeah, I remember it. I just wondered if it compared to how it compared. It's not as good. It's not as good from what I remember. The state, um, and they, they take a big departure from in the story from what I remember yeah. also. Because that's one of my favorite Universal monster stories. So. Well, the, uh, we watched it with Mel and Corey, and the, the girls were both very, very disappointed with it. They were like, eh, 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 like that. And I was like, I kind of enjoyed it. And then when, when the credits rolled and it came up and said it's a Joe Johnston film, I went, ah, that explains it. <laughs> because <laughs> it just had that feel, and I couldn't put my finger on it. So it just, you know, that kind of dumb, fun... I, I thought it was in that Rocketeer, Jurassic yeah. Park 3, <laughs> that, that, Captain America that, you know, Something Avenger. that I'm enjoying that I really yeah. shouldn't. <laughs> I, I have a soft spot for werewolves in general. And so I found it an enjoyable werewolf movie, but it wasn't a Wolfman movie to me. It, well, was, it wasn't close enough to the Wolfman. Corey's problem was, it was that, a werewolf you know, film, she thought it but, was boring. And she was like, it's the same story as all the Wolfman movies. And well, that's, you know, that's, and that's, like, that's, that's, that is the core that's issue, the problem if you will. With werewolves, is yes. Once the Wolfman came out, that's it. That's the story. And so anytime you try to inject werewolves into anything, you're dealing with this. It's the guy who got bit, who doesn't want to be a werewolf. Who's, he's gonna, he's, you know, oh, look, it's a whole moon. I wonder what's going to happen. I yeah. mean, you just, you one, one of the freshest takes I, I've seen of werewolves is Cursed. The Wes Craven film. It's bad. I admit it's bad, but it's, it's unique, I thought, and very enjoyable. I, I liked the fact that they kept it very much in, I liked the fact that it was set in old times and, you know, in, in that era, and Benicio del Toro, who normally annoys me, was really good in this. Anthony Hopkins was nuts, oh, uh, and I didn't know Hugo Weaving's in it. He plays the, yeah, the, the right. Scotland Yard inspector. So oh, of really? course, every time he shows up, it's like Mister <laughs> <laughs> Anderson, <laughs> Agent Smith. But you know, that makes a lot it's more sense. It's worth watching. Is it Red good? Eh, you know. But we did that. Uh, Mel and I, and uh, we. we had Billy's off at uh, ROTC camp, so we've had the house to ourselves. And how do we celebrate? I brought home Mortal Kombat, the new Xbox. Well, the new-ish. It's been out for, I don't know, a year and a half now or something. Yeah. But <laughs> brought home the Xbox for, game. For Xbox? And we've just been... Beating each other up? <laughs> no. We, we set it up on the on the campaign story mode, and I'd play a fight, and she'd play a fight, and I'd play a fight, and she'd play a fight. And we're just nice. rah, chewing through it. So huh. having a lot of fun. And it's this is the one that's... All Romeo Must Die, where every time you pull off a special combo, which, you know, I'm a button masher, doesn't happen. <laughs> but if by chance I happen to do something that's relatively cool, it goes into this cool slow mo of the, you know, elbow coming around and it goes into this x ray vision of bones cracking, <laughs> teeth falling out, blood spraying everywhere. And it's like, oh, that's cool. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, it took the Fight Club approach. Yeah. I'm being very, very. Uh, did you guys ever play that? The video game? I'm not a fighter. I'm, not, I'm a fighter. not a fighter game either, but I tried Fight Club, and it was a lot of that. You would break bones, and it would go in and go x-ray, yeah. and you'd see the bones break and all that stuff if you did a special move. I, I, my brother and I used to play Mortal Kombat way, way, way back in the day, and I don't even remember which one. It was Mortal Kombat 3 or something and uh, for the Nintendo, and, of course, we had the sanitized version. You <laughs> had the Nintendo version. So, it was, yeah. you know, I have no, no real... I thought the film was fine. I have no real basis to go <laughs> off of with this. I enjoyed the first one. And film. Uh, it, you know, I really enjoyed the Mortal Kombat versus DC. But that was probably more from the superhero slant. And so yeah, yeah. this was kind of one of those things I was like, I've always wanted to try it, but I'm not willing to spend money on it. So <laughs> Do you guys, free, free rentals? Yeah, I'm going to bring that home. <laughs> Do you guys get demos for Injustice, Gods Among Us? Yes. 
Did you try it? I can't wait to play that one in full. I haven't played anything on the Xbox for <laughs> months and months. I, it's it cool, but it, it has the same problem all fighters have for me, is I just get bored with it. Oh, that's what it does. It's a fighting game. It, 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 they, there's the <laughs> story, and I'm using my air quotes, uh, is that something happens that causes all of the DC superheroes to go bad. And so they're roaming around Earth causing havoc and problems, and so the villains actually have to team up to go fight them, which gives you the, oh, that's going to be Mortal Kombat, but no Mortal Kombat characters, it's just the, the superhero fights. But uh, the demo, it's a free demo and you can unlock it. It's a side-by-side fighter, though? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But the, the, the free demo, you get Wonder Woman, Batman... And Lex. And Lex. At least yeah, as your, your, your three sample characters. And I, I can't wait to get into some of that because Batman's special move is he calls in the Batmobile, which runs your opponent over. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I've seen Superman's special move. He punches the guy into orbit. Like, he leaves the planet. And then Superman takes off, flies past him, and waits in space. <laughs> And then punches him and he falls back to Earth. Because what's the point of a fighting game with Superman if you can't knock a guy off the planet? <laughs> I'm sold. I will totally pick up this game when it becomes affordable. <laughs> it's not affordable right now. But yeah, so that's kind of how what we've been doing. We've just not been doing a whole lot and enjoying it. And so, I like the slide scroller fighting games where, you know, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Castle Crashers. The, uh, oh, what are those called? <laughs> those kind of games. I don't remember what they're called, but. Side scroller. Well, they are side sort of scrollers, but they're like uh, there's Keith's right. There's an yeah, actual there's a name for them. But. Contra. I like those. Yeah, things. it's those essentially are, as opposed to the the side scrolling quote unquote fighting where you're in an arena, but you only go left or right, right. Right, right. No, this is yeah. I mean, it is a side scroller. That is the yeah. It is a board. side scroller, but when it is like four player capable, yeah. Yeah. I thought there was another one no, that, other than it's side, a side scroller. Scroll. Okay. Because side-scrolling platformer, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Of. Well, platform side-scrolling platformers are Mario Brothers and anything that scrolls yeah. sideways as you go through your adventure. But there is a specific name for these side-scroller fighting games where you basically just, just beat everybody up beat. that comes at you, and <laughs> like the original Street Fighter was. And uh, I thought I don't remember that from the. I must have only ever played Street Fighter Two. Yeah, because uh, I only ever remember the side Street to Rage. Arena. I'm sorry, okay. not Street Fighter. <laughs> the original Streets of Rage was 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 side scroller, and you just fought everybody as they came at you. And then uh, Scott Pilgrim's the same way. You know the, yeah. those kind of games. I like well, those. The, the X Men. Yeah, uh, I like those. Yeah. But the, the side by side fighters. I'm not a big fan of the fighting game. games. Anyway, according to Wikipedia, the side scrolling format is also popular among beat 'em ups. Such as beat 'em ups, that's yeah, what that's it's called. Double Dragon and Battle. Beat 'em ups. Yeah. Oh, Double Dragon was what I was thinking of, not Street Rage. But Street Rage was one. Yeah. Double Dragon's the one I was thinking of. Was was uh, yeah, a side scroll beat 'em up. That's it's exactly it's what it is. Yeah. It's a beat 'em up. GI Joe had the greatest. That was, it was better than Simpsons. It was better than. Right, I know. I've never played. Oh, the GI Joe arcade was oh. phenomenally awesome. I, t- I thoroughly love the Ninja Turtles one. The Ninja Turtle one's really good. Yeah, the first one and Turtles in Time, from what I remember. Yeah, I really I remember Turtles in Time really well. That was is, that is was that for Super Nintendo Ninja Turtles, Turtles too. Turtles in Time is that the one I'm thinking of? Or was that later? Because the original Turtles in Time was the third one. Was the third movie? The third movie, but I think it was the second video. Well, it was game. just called video Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. It wasn't. Two. No, you're right. Yeah, there two, was no two. two no, it. it was because the the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that came out for a, a, a platform was well, a, a, Turtles in Time. The first Nintendo one was Turtles. In, no, it wasn't. Two was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game. Yes, that's what it was. That's okay. what it was. Because yes. the first Ninja Turtles sucked. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah, Turtles in Time was a Super Nintendo game. Yeah. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of then. Not to be confused with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three Turtles in Time. <laughs> 
Did that even, Although, did that even have a subtitle? Yeah. yeah, it was called Turtles and Time. Was yeah. it? Yeah. There's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Use, Teenage Mutant, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Turtles in Time. Secret of the Use is the best one. Secret of the Use was really good. I still like the first one the best. Well, but I think one, one, one is best, good. two is a guilty pleasure. No, three is a guilty pleasure. Uh, three is a bad movie. But three, three is just guilty. guilty. <laughs> yeah. guilty. i got to side with you on this one. Yeah. <laughs> two, two is, I love two, but... David Warner's in too, so it automatically. That's where my love for David Warner started. Was that one? My love for David Warner started in Tron. That was the only thing I can remember. (laughs) (laughs) Until you said he was in Turtles Two, I'd forgotten that. So he was in Turtles Two. What would you do this weekend, Keith? A lot of running errands in preparation for our trip to Maryland Uh, next weekend. But over the week, I did watch Men in Black Three, and really enjoyed it. I. I sat through Act 1, kind of like, hmm. Then Act 2 came along, and I fell in love with it. It's once he goes back in time and he meets up with Kay, that's where the movie really picks up and gets good. And gets to be the Men in Black you know from Men in Black 1. And Josh Brolin does a great job as a a younger Kay, where he has the same mannerisms, but there's a little bit more to him that... Older K is obviously more closed off than younger K is, so you get to see more of K in it that way. The bad guy was kind of a second note to it, but... He would have been much more awesome had he been Tim Curry. Yeah, the first that. time he shows up on screen, I thought, wow, they got Tim Curry, and then it was totally not Tim Curry. I was like, <laughs> disappointed. It's the guy from Flight of the Concords. Yeah, it's not Tim Curry, so it's like... Eh, okay, I, I just have... I, I had trouble taking him seriously as a villain... But Probably better than Johnny Knoxville. Well, yeah, that's true. Didn't take much. No, I, I, that's true. <laughs> Men in Black has never had a very good. You know what I would really like track see? record with <laughs> villains. I like the first one. <laughs> giant like cockroach. One in the first one. But I would like. I would like to see a film really franchise come out and do do one. Yeah, and then do the, the 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 inevitable terrible two, and then come out and do whatever it is, three, the apology. (laughs) 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 We're sorry the second one sucked. Maybe that's what your movie trailer should be. Something three. It should be the third movie, the the apology. Return to House of Mummies 2. (laughs) Return to House of Mummies 2. (laughs) That's the other thing I did. Venture Brothers is back on. I'm so happy. Uh, Don't uh, me. It's the greatest show on television. uh, It's even better than Doctor Who. I I said it. What? Yes. Oh. Oh, my goodness. It's so good. Alright. I don't know about that. Too bad season three sucked. Um No, season three was okay. Season anything four else? sucked. Not mm-hmm. really, just did some shopping. Not much going on this weekend. Well, in that case let's move on to news. The Queen <laughs> <laughs> Our first bit of news, uh they've announced the sixth ebook. Uh the Puffin ebooks that we've been re- Reporting on puffin, puffin, puffin. puffin. I love it because every time you say puffin ebook, I think it's like a kids kids story, and oh. it's it's a, a group of puffins, and you know, they're, they're stranded on an island. It's kind of like Happy Feet. Yeah, what will like happen that. to these poor puffins? <laughs> uh, it's going to be called. It's their six adventures. So so far they've survived. <laughs> I think they're going to make it to eleven of them too. Actually, I think uh, I have to work that into the next Doctor Who short story. <laughs> <laughs> the puffin adventure, <laughs> starring Colin Baker. And Frobisher. Oh! <laughs> but Frobisher wasn't a puffin. Yeah, but he could best communicate with the puffin. That's true. I'd totally read that. <laughs> totally read that. 
Uh, it's going to be called Something Borrowed, and it's written by Rochelle Mead. What else has Rochelle Mead done? I understand this. He didn't a, look that far. I didn't look that he far. Just, he just looked up and said that uh, she watched sci-fi growing up. and, and She watched her Flash brothers. Gordon Thanks for her brother. Up. She watched uh, Flash Gordon. Oh, well, that's... Yeah. Give her a <laughs> job. That's, that's a qualification right there. Yeah. Good, good enough for You're me. You're hired. She can do our Google Plus page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a prerequisite. Okay, she is known for the Georgia... Vortex. You have to have seen Flash Gordon. <laughs> She's known for the Georgia Kincaid series, Vampire Academy... And the Dark Swan series. I have heard of Vampire Academy. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> Not read them, just heard of them. Oh. Are so, we, we're going to eventually tackle these, right? We oh, haven't yeah. been doing we're, we're these. We're waiting as we go for along, the anthology. Yeah, you guys are waiting on the anthology. You've been getting them, haven't yeah, you? I have been getting them. On your, uh, and then whatever. you'll double dip and you'll buy the hardback copy. No, whatever well, whatever, no, whatever your iDevice is. Device. So that's just it. I. I, I used to be a bibliophile. I'm a recovering bibliophile. <laughs> I used to have to have the physical book, and just ever since. In fact, I read more now that I use an e-reader. I read more now that I use an e-reader because it's convenient. It's always with me. I can I can grab a book right there. It, it, don't get me wrong. There's still nothing like the smell of a book and the feel of a nice hardbound book in your hand. But the e-reader, I, I, I don't buy near as many hardback books now because number one, they take up room when you got a family, and a lot, you know the, the larger your family gets, and ironically, the larger your house gets. <laughs> You still don't have room less for all room. this stuff. Um, but enjoy that gigantic book. You know, I just so <laughs> many of my books went, anywhere. <laughs> so many of my books went to the library sale, and, and I, I just absolutely love e-readers. And I, I do not advocate for the getting rid of books altogether and just going to electronic books ever. Don't get me wrong, but the because when the inevitable the, happens and the zombie apocalypse comes, <laughs> you're going to wish you had yes, that book. Yeah, because the minute you hit a zombie but with don't your break e-reader. Your it's gone. But that book, you could probably kill three or four zombies with that thing. Especially <laughs> if it's like a first edition Stephen King, because those are thick. <laughs> so, but anyway, but I, I absolutely love my e-readers. And so, uh, you know, just even, I mean, they're a digital copy. I can carry all five of these e-books with me with... All six. Six. Well, Once this one comes yeah, out. exactly. I've got five right now, so... Which will I haven't be out read June, any of these yet. June but. 23rd will be this one. We actually had to put a self-imposed moratorium on going to the Friends of the Library book sale this last year. Because we bought so many books at the last one, and we—I mean, we just—we got there. That's why I quit going. You know, just was five up bucks for books. a bag of books. Yeah, it's and a good deal. So, you know, oh, yeah. so we were all over it, and we brought home so many things, and we realized that nobody had read any of the books that we brought home from the book sale from the, the previous year, year. And we were like, no. And I'm not until you read at least one of those books, you're not going back. And I, I, I put my foot down and said, yeah. "That's why, like, like going to half price bookstore in the clearance section, I got like several books for a dollar." Did you hear the news? No, the half price bookstore in Lawrence closed. Oh. <gasps> Yeah. When? Apparently earlier this month. Oh. That was our second bit of news. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you local in the That's area. Tragedy. At least there's still a Hastings in Lawrence. There's still Hastings in Lawrence. still have now, one reason to go to Lawrence. The, the Half Price Bookstore in uh, Overland Park or wherever the next one is at, it's, it's still there. I can get discounted books at Hastings. <laughs> but yeah, the, the one in Lawrence closed. That's too I bad. I was bummed. It is too bad. They ought to relocate here. I think they'd be better. I'd, I'd be down That's because everybody's buying e-readers <laughs> well <laughs> it's your fault they're, they're buying more I'm sorry. they were buying more books than they were selling yeah, likely yeah, is the I'm problem sure that's true um i think it's just lawrence because we lost the the borders there the barnes and, and noble's gone too the, barnes and noble's the only gone. bookstore in lawrence is hastings when did lawrence have a barnes and noble a while ago it's been years years since. and years I mean, it really? was there before the borders wasn't it i think so 
Yeah, because I looked it up because I knew they had one at one Get point. And it's Where gone. was it at? I don't remember. I don't remember either. Well, it's been gone for years and years and years. Yeah, then because yeah, it's been gone for years well, and years. It was the first one. Count, it was the first one to leave. And then what? Well, it was like the dusty bookshelf. Three or four. Too. Oh, what? I no. think it. it moved. It's what? down. What? No, it's what? down there. Oh, it's no. You're right. You it's, guys. You guys told me it moved down to cl- uh, f- closer to Mass. And okay, that's where, it, that's where it's. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. Uh, I, uh, I always think because I drive by where its old location was, where it was really cool and and yeah. really was dusty and and narrow. Uh, so awesome, but yeah, no, I'm sorry, it hasn't closed. Well, that I know of. So, anyway, we must go to Lawrence immediately and find out if the bookstore is open. <laughs> what else is new in news? Despite reports, there is no announcement. No this announcement. Week. Uh, Despite previous reports in this show, there is no announcement. <laughs> you mean it's not the Queen? It's not the Queen. According to Ed Stradling, a director, we can tell you who it's not. We can tell you a whole list of who it's not yes. so far. It's not Johnny Depp. It's not Johnny Depp. It's not. Uh, uh, playing footsie with ooh. you this week. Um, who's the other person that's uh, Nick Cage? It's not it's Nick not Cage. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Oh, I, I, we can quash this rumor right away. It's not David Tennant. <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> but, we're, but we're still we're still hoping for the uh, Paul McGann. I'd be all right with that. But. <laughs> uh, tweets went out uh, yesterday, Saturday. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry. Remind me when you're done. Re- say. Think or something. Give me a keyword, because I I, I I figured this out. I know how this is going to work, and I'm so excited, but I, I can't share it yet. Finish your story. By Ed Stradling, one person in the know who is a documentary Doctor Who director, so he's in touch with Stephen Moffat, and he's Stephen Moffat said Saturday morning, I haven't a clue who it is. We barely started, so don't ex- I don't, don't expect any announcement anytime soon, despite what tabloid <laughs> newspapers are trying to say. Think. I think. know I know who it's going to be. Are you ready for this? Stephen Fry. No. That's what I'm pulling for. No. Better. Better than Stephen Fry? Better than Stephen Fry. Well, no Stephen Fry but. Not better than, well, uh, no. But in the right vein. Jim Broadbent. No. Richard E. Grant. Yes. Think about this, okay? Richard E. Grant comes on the show playing the great intelligence. Richard E. Grant's last appearance on the show is stepping into the doctor's time stream and becoming part of his DNA. That totally retcons. Yeah, it does. It fixes Shaka Doctor. That's what I said. That's what I said that yeah. the, when we reviewed but, the but, next but doctor. But what if they brought him back as an actual? He's the next doctor. Shaka Doctor wasn't actually nine or eight. He wasn't actually a doctor. Yeah, no, he wasn't. But he he, he just he was. When the doctor regenerates for whatever reason, because this is in there, it just pulls and it becomes Richard E. Grant, and he plays the tenth doctor. And then all the of a sudden, twelfth. Uh, uh, what, what number are we on? Twelve. He becomes a twelfth doctor. And then Shaka Doctor, we just move that story further down the timeline. That's, yeah, it does. It doesn't they really, never, they never yeah, claim never he's not. Claim that he's not. So it so. works. It fixes it all. And we get what we want. We get Richard E. Grant. And, and Who would want totally, Richard E. Grant as a doctor? Yeah, and, yeah, and, and it, it totally would totally make that. sense why the master is a robot. <laughs> because he's dead now. Yeah, because of in the time. That's true. He is dead. Dead. Yeah. Dead. 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 dead, dead, dead. <laughs> it works. I it's like Richard it. E. Grant. That's why they brought him back to kind of test the waters and see if they could do it. It's gonna work. Uh, well, I think that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> I don't think that's really where they're gonna go with it. Unfortunately, I'm pulling, still pulling for Stephen Fry. No, he'd be brilliant. 
It's not Stephen Fry. But he would be brilliant. He would be brilliant. It's not Judy Dench either. (laughs) Ten years ago would have been She would have been brilliant ten years ago. I just think it's... Just, she you bring Judy doesn't have in, the energy for it. You now. bring Judy Denshin as a doctor. You better bring in a granddaughter and a, a young cast to go along with her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you, need, you need a man of you need action. A man of action. We'll do a heart and all thing. Where's Captain Jack at? <laughs> uh, He's still be on her, but we'll talk a little bit about our shortlisted DVDs. Yeah, there's uh, thanks to Chrissy who's pointed this out to us after we discussed it last week of the exorbitant price of planting a fire on Amazon. Uh, apparently some are, they're letting, the BBC is letting releases. BBC America. Uh, BBC America. Where worldwide America. Worldwide is letting it run out. Let releases run out and not re-release them. At least this year. Yeah. Not, you say re-release. No. Well, not. They're, they're not, they're, they're going to they, let they, the printed copies run out and not print more copies. They've stopped manufacturing yes. these certain yes. uh, We shouldn't say they're not going to re-release them yes. because I think that's the intention to run some of these out is I think there must be some plan down the, the line to re-release these in some sort of format. Some so essentially what's happening is this is a moratorium. Is the, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind Disney of like... does it all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's the, the Doctor Who classics going into the vault. Yeah. Essentially. And these are, titles are not going to be available Unfortunately, what that does is it pushes up the resale value of these on the internet to third-party uh, sellers and really kind of screws over uh, those of us that are still purchasing our collections and whatnot. It makes it very difficult to to get it. And it, it, it the, the the saddest thing about it is is it's not just little internet sellers that are pushing the price up because they're the only ones that have it. It's places like Amazon, Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble and, and they're pushing Or the, or some places you can't even find them available. Yeah, they're just they're they're pushing these prices way up because they're in, in limited uh quantities in high demand now so it's 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 a shame that that's going to have to happen but the bbc america has have, obviously has some sort of reason for it so however we have found this week i'm gonna, I'm gonna tip our hat and now everybody's gonna rush to this site to get a, <laughs> the warner brothers uh, wb shop is uh still has a lot of these at the uh, uh suggested retail price point so if you're going to get them i suggest you go there because that's the best Best price we found on the internet, and we'll include the link in the show notes as far as where you can can find Don't these. Find the list. Well, no, we'll we'll or, or I'll we'll, leave the list. You go find them yourself. <laughs> um, no, we get a link to the. Yeah, I got what you're saying. Yeah, the list, the link to the, the list. Link to which the, Chrissy, the thank list. you so much for. Uh, and Chrissy's the one that tipped us finding that because we had talked last week. Yeah. At the end of the show about how uh, Planet of Fire was going for like almost sixty bucks on. Uh, uh, Amazon. Amazon. And and unfortunately, I think maybe Brittany (laughs) purchased hers that way. Hopefully through our store. That'll be it. That'll be a nice. Yeah, if you do want to go out and buy these from Amazon, (laughs) you can go to the uh, Traveling Vortex Amazon store and we'll get a a chunk of that money. At least it goes to a a good good cause. And the money we make there doesn't go into our pockets. It goes back into uh, great and fun things for this show. Yeah, like broadband <laughs> yeah <laughs> server space domain names um and j- just to let everyone know uh I'm, we're not going to go through the list you'll have to look the list up but i went through in a very exhaustive okay checking what i've got planned scheduling wise 
off of this list so that nobody will have to scramble and find out that an episode of Friday Night Who that's coming up that we're going to be doing is suddenly, oh, it's unavailable. Right. Um, the only one that is on this list that is planned from this point to the end of the year, not that I have the whole year done, but the only one that's currently on there is Ghostlight, which is a seventh Doctor story, and it's not until October. But Ghostlight is on that list of disappearing titles. So if you don't own Ghostlight, you might want to think about going ahead and picking it up now no. before the availability suddenly becomes, Keep oh, in mind got that, it. that Ghostlight is still streaming on both Netflix and Amazon uh, Prime. I don't I think it's on Netflix. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Uh, maybe it's just Curse was the only one left. Curse was, oh, okay. for sure. Well, I'll double check. But. Never mind then. Um, that's where I watched it most recently, but now I think about it. It's been a few years ago, so... But just just as an FYI, so which and there are several on this list that we have not seen. Yeah. Most of it we have, right. but there are a few that we have not watched well, did you or that I have not. Did seen. you notice Battlefield? Yeah, uh, on our Amazon site, eighty five. Yeah, that's what. Uh, uh, well, I think even Chrissy was saying that as, as good as it was, she wouldn't pay. Yeah, <laughs> absorbing the amount. Unreal. Yeah, so. I bul- I bulk at paying the seventy nine dollars for a full series set. <laughs> Not alone one story. <laughs> of course, keep, I'm, keep I'm in cheap. mind too, and, and this is denoted in this link. But keep in mind that Earthshock will be released again uh, soon on the uh, Doctor's Revisited because that'll yeah. be on the fifth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. I'm assuming they'll put them together, uh, grouping and eighth, I suppose. Yeah, grouping. So because they're doing four, right? Four and four. Yeah, four and four. So it'll be on that grouping. All right, well, if we're done with news, news. that means that we will move on to feedback. (laughs) Perry is a burning thing, and she makes my heart sing. Bound by wild desire, I fell into planet of fire. I fell into a burning planet of fire. I went down, 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 as feedback will inspire. And I yearn, yearn, yearn. Planet of fire. Planet of fire. Very nice. Thank you. First up, Jessica. Jessica writes, Is change really the goal? Hi, guys. I know I'm getting this in late, and you may have already started reading feedback reviews, but I'm going to derail us for a few minutes. I hope that's okay. Well, you're in luck. You got it in time. (laughs) And your first one is. Yes. As a recent Whovian, the internet pushed me into catching up right before the 11th hour, and as... This is my first time live with a regeneration. This is the first time I'm dealing with the scuttlebutt that happens inside fandom when things like this happen. One thing I've heard over the past over the last few years, and currently the almost ad nauseum chorus of thought, is how the show is about change. I would like to challenge that notion a bit, and would love to hear your thoughts on the matter. I think change is only the end result. I never see a character written whose personal motivation is to only change, and I've never seen the show provide it 
provide an overarching plot device that was just about making something different. From the time Ian and Barbara walked into the TARDIS, the motivation has never been to just change them. It's been about pushing them to see what their boundaries are, to challenge their beliefs, structures, and let them learn from the results. What we have seen over the, these last 50 years is not a show about change, but a show about why change happens. Even the idea of regeneration itself was born from these things. The show was pushed into a situation it had, to, it had never dealt with before and had to make adjustments. Yes, the show has gone through a multitude of adjustments and curveballs, but that's not why we love the show. We identify with the characters and situations they find themselves in. We, find, we hope to find ourselves as adventurous as those explorers that we join through space and time. We challenge ourselves to see things differently through their eyes and absorb these, those ideas ourselves. On a side note, I think that's why Donna's storyline is so tragic. Not because at the end nothing was different, but because she was forced to lose all of that perspective. Of course, there may be caveats to my thesis. I'll admit to not seeing every episode. The most classic who have most class most of classic who I have not yet seen, but from the movie forward I have seen everything uh, we have had offered to us. And I'm not a historian. I don't live. I don't have thirty plus years of fandom behind me, and I couldn't quote production codes to anyone. But after a few years of various podcasts behind me, I think I have a fair idea of the outline of the show. Maybe I missed it. But I also don't think I've heard any massive outcry that the show is way off base with the core function I've, functions I've mentioned. I'm sure there are examples, but if the show was so far off base, I don't think it would have made it past the first series. It feels like classic fans should have, should have had the most power. I just think we have to expand our definition of the show in order to approach it with the right attitude. Lastly, concerning the most recent conversation on who the Doctor should become after Eleven, I'll just say this. Change is an admirable goal, but it does not occur without understanding why it needs to happen, how to take steps to go there, or to truly knowing who you want to become. Let's answer those questions first. Even as a newer fan, I hope my thesis on the show was worth a listen. Thanks for your time as always, Jessica. Thank you for your thesis, Jessica. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, I, I think it is a, an important note that because I think I've said it before that the show's about change, and I don't know that I necessarily meant about, but that it certainly embraces it, and that yeah. it's, it's something it, it, that it embraces. And I think ever since the regeneration and knowing that change was going to be a part of this, I think most writers, when it comes to a regeneration story, at least, have in their mind of this is a way to help children deal with change. It, it's a show that teaches you about change. It may not be about change, but it teaches you how to deal with it and cope with it. Because regardless of how you feel about it, it's going on and changing without you. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't either. It's a way to look at. It. Um, I think on the on the basis, she's right. I just i I think that the the the, the core motivations of the show have always been the same for fifty years. I just don't think there's there's a core that you won't. You won't change as far as formatting goes, as far as anything beyond that. But the show has been allowed to evolve, and we've seen a lot of evolution in the show. Whether whether it be, I mean, the, the show evolved from the, the get go when they decided they had to bring another actor in, and how are you going to deal with that? And so, 
I think we the, the show continually evolves in what it is and what themes it deals with and and the age of characters and the age of, of things like that. But I, I think change change is too strong of a word as far as a, a show that is has endured for fifty years and and really we're doing the same thing. We're we we, we one doctor traveling the universe and time with companions and having adventures and that ultimately is what it is. So it really doesn't matter who or what or or what it is. Each time that we've established a, a, a story arc, there's been elements that are new, but there's still elements within it that are old. And so I, I, I agree with, with the core uh, basis of it is that it, it's it's not so much change, it's it's good storytelling. Change, my dear, and not a moment too soon. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, Alex. <laughs> Did you forget? I, 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 I second-guessed myself oh, there for a minute. Alex writes, Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a Star Trek reference. Hey, guys, Alex here. I'm at long last completely caught up with the podcast. To clarify, that means no more beating the dead horse with jokes, which I still think are funny, but which everyone else is tired of several weeks ago. That was the last one, I promise. If you don't mind, I'd like to start off this feedback with a slightly tangential talk about the Star Trek Into Darkness. As a complete newbie to Star Trek, I had never watched a single episode or any of the movies until very recently, when a devoted Trekker friend of mine decided to introduce me to the series through the 2009 pseudo-reboot in preparation for Into Darkness. Having seen nothing but both of the Abrams films, I feel like I have a very narrow perspective on Star Trek. But what I've seen has definitely encouraged me to go back and explore the older TV series and what I've seen uh, an original run of movies, as I absolutely loved Star Trek 2009 and Into Darkness. Both felt a little formulaic at times, relying a little too heavily on science fiction tropes. But since this is Star Trek, the show that most likely invented a lot of those tropes, I don't have a problem with that. I also very much enjoyed Benjamin Crumpledink's portrayal of Khan, although obviously I don't have the reference points for the character that you guys do, so my opinion on that performance may change after I've watched The Wrath of Khan. My one big problem with the film was the meeting of the senior commanders. Hey guys, a dangerous ter- I suppose we should resound the spoiler warning just in case. Yeah, it's been a few weeks. <laughs> it's too late. Right. Hey guys, a dangerous terrorist just launched an attack on Starfleet property. We should probably gather all of our best captains <laughs> together in this poorly defended room with massive windows and no guards to discuss our next move. <sighs> Clearly, nobody at Starfleet has watched Aliens in London, because that's the exact same trick the Sylvine pulled. Sean. I re-downloaded your side trip on the original series as part of my prep work, which was very interesting and gave me some cool-sounding starting points. My Trekker friend told me her favorite episode is The Trouble with Tribbles, which was also on your list, so I'm particularly looking forward to that one. Apparently, it's quite the comical romp. And yes, it is, and your Trekker friend has pretty good taste. Moving back into the realm of Doctor Who, with the departure of Matt Smith, my condolences to Keith. (laughs) You may be coping now. But come Christmas, I fear you may not fare so admirably. I fear so, too. It's always sad to wave goodbye to a doctor, but I'd just like to say I'm extremely grateful for Smith and Moffat's efforts in creating such a wonderful series of adventures for the doctor these past four years. Although I'm sad to see him go, I think he's chosen the best time possible to make his departure, and my sadness is tempered by the excitement at meeting the Twelfth Doctor. There are a lot of interesting potential names floating around at the moment, which is only to be expected. I particularly like the sound of Ben Wickshaw as the doctor. Or if they decided to go with an American actor, how about Alan Tudyk? Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. In reality, though, I think the BBC are most likely to go with a relatively unknown actor, a star waiting to happen, as Neil Gaiman put it. I also think they're most likely to choose somebody slightly older for the part this time around. You guys discussed who you might like to see in the role last week, but the question I really wanted to ask you is, what kind of attributes would you like to see in the 12th Doctor's personality? 
we're probably going to get something very far removed from Matt Smith's oddball quirkiness. Maybe a calm and gentle doctor to contrast with Smith's manic energy. Or a colder, darker incarnation to follow on from Eleven's whimsical streak. I personally wouldn't mind seeing a slightly more suave, charismatic doctor, an Edwardian gentleman type in the style of Pertwee. What do you three think? We want to handle that now? Yeah, sure. I think he's... I, I, I have a feeling that it will be someone calmer, kind of like Peter Davison was to... was was the reflection or the opposite of Tom. I think that's going to be more what we're, we have because we started, like, with 9, was dark. 10 was a little more comical, but still had dark moments. And 11 was a lot more comical with dark moments. So I could see coming back down off of that peak, I guess. Because if if you continue with the comical and quirkiness, it's going to come across like you're trying to do what Matt Smith did in the role. But on on reflection of that, though, I think you can still do comical and quirky. I'm sure there will be comedy in there. I think you can do comical and quirky, but do it differently than Matt Smith did it. Because I think Matt Smith, in a way, really emulated the second Doctor. He yeah, took it true. to a new level, and I think he changed and evolved that quirkiness that, that, that Patrick Troughton gave to the role, and he certainly made it his own. But I think he had that same style. I, quite honestly, I this sort of came to me last night. I've been Stephen Fry would be the to me would be the ultimate doctor. I just absolutely love him. I've been, but I've been saying that for weeks. I just. It, you, yeah, have I would, a, you have a huge man crush. I on have him. a huge man crush, and I, I would just go crazy. But I, this came to me last night that I think the, one of the best choices for the new doctor is uh, 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 what's his name, Dirk Gently, uh, Stephen McGann. Yeah, Stephen That's McGann. who I picked all the way back yeah, in the day. You did, and but it was it just kind of came to me last night because he can still be. He could be the scatterbrain doctor because we don't we haven't had one of those for a long time. Where yeah. it's just I mean I don't think he could play it just like he played Dirk. But I could I could see echoes of the Dirk character being a real fascinating take on the Doctor in the sense that like he's he's very one like one direction minded and I could see somebody playing the Doctor in that way. So I, I, I yes, way way back in the day when you brought it up, <laughs> I think we all agreed that that would that he would make a good Doctor. But just it was last night. It just kind of hit me, and I thought you know that's where we need to go. Is it's somebody that just has the energy that Matt and David and even Chris had and the quirkiness that, that Matt and David have. Because I think David was quirky, too. It was just in a different way. It was in and a different so I way. Think, I think that's what makes the show enjoyable, especially to new fans and people that, that aren't invested in the 50 years of history. <laughs> and so you, I think you just need somebody to kind of on that scale, but to do it differently, yeah. you know, to, to make, take a new approach. Uh, Steve McGann actually tweeted, Steve McGann. Uh, I don't think that's how you say his name. However, his name Mangan. 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 Thank you. I blanked there. Uh, actually tweeted when the announcement came out that Matt was leaving. He said, um, save your money. I know I'm in the poll for the running, but he says, I assure you, I'm the farthest removed from anybody that could be considered for that role as possible. So don't put any money down on me if you're voting in the who's going to be the next <laughs> doctor <laughs> poll, um, which I thought was funny. But um, I don't know. All, all, of the doctors re- all of the doctors have that whimsical streak to them even Indeed. even eccleson for as much as we like to talk about him being kind of dark you know when he's rattling on about i like bananas and just mm-hmm. says things that are so off 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 the wall um 
as much as I think it would be kind of cool to go back to a grandfatherly type or maybe even a, a slightly bombastic uh, Colin Baker, I don't think they will. Um, I think he... I think they'd be too afraid of maybe alienating part of their audience if they took it to especially that extreme. The, the new viewers, especially yeah. the new who viewers. Um, so I think I think we'll get a, I think we'll get an older person, but I don't think it'll be you know a grandfather. I think we're probably looking at you know mid forties, like more like a McCoy, or maybe in their fifties. Steve Fry. <laughs> it's not Stephen Fry. What about um, Maurice Moss? Do you guys see that? Who's Maurice Moss? From the IT crowd. Some fake Maurice Moss Facebook page. Posted a picture of him. What's his real name? Uh, uh, Richard, I can never pronounce his name, an- Anadoid or something. Yeah. yeah I can't see it. Not him either. Um. <laughs> but they did a, I'm writing to inform you that I'm available to take over immediately as the next doctor. I'll even bring my own sonic screwdriver. Mine actually works. I'd like to, actually, I'd like to see, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's he's on some show on HBO now. Uh, the other guy that played. Oh, um, um, I've seen his name batted about. That would be kind of cool. Um, Chris, no, not Chris. Yeah, I don't remember his name, but. Well, the top three names that they they, they Chris mentioned. O'Dowd. Yeah, Chris O'Dowd. I think he would be. He'd be pretty clever as as the new Doctor. The but. top three names that they mentioned were, were were all three actors that kind of sort of I had peripherally heard of. Well, the operative is one. But he's not apparently in that top three list anymore. He's according not? according to the official powers that be, which of course means absolutely nothing. The game makers, <laughs> you know, um, he, he he's not on the list. But they, the they, they, there was a different. He was number one was for the longest time. Yeah. There for a minute. That's um, all right. The odds makers. The odds makers. There was a different black actor on there, and I cannot think of his name. Well, now. Idris Elba. Yeah, Idris oh, yeah, Elba was, was, was so far outside the realm of probability in my mind. Not that he would be bad, but he's well, just no, no. He's busy with Luther. Yeah, he's just he's not. It's not going to happen. Um, but one of the names that, that, that did shock me, and I can't think of his, uh, but it was it was one of the twins from Harry Potter. It was either Fred or George, whichever the older. The Phelps boys. Yes. Is is, is that the one that's going to be in the time travel movie by the director who did Vincent and the Doctor? I don't know, but I, I, that kind of surprised me because I know there's so much. Uh, there's a big Potterhead fan base out there rooting for for Rupert uh, Grint Grint. Yes, Rupert. Rupert, yeah. to, Rupert. to get it, uh, and I, I, well, I don't think he'd be bad necessarily. But it, once you do the ginger joke, where do you go from there? That's the, yeah. <laughs> the problem with casting a ginger. Is finally are you going to <laughs> now are you going to base an entire doctor on that joke? And well, Moffat probably would, but yeah, because um, he's be only going to stick around for another so, year. So yeah. it's somebody else's problem after that. I, I'm, I'm Richard E. Grant. That's <laughs> I'm sold. That's what I want to see. Or Paul McGann. Yeah. Bring back another doctor. <laughs> Just not Tim. All right, Just let's finish ten. Alex up. Now to finally get around to those Series 7B reviews I keep talking about due to their lateness and consequential irrelevance. Irrelevant. Ill, irrelevant. I can't. Irrelevance. There, got it. I promise I'll keep these as truncated as possible. That was Sean, not Alex. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally. I can read it. I just can't say it. The Snowman, a very enjoyable episode, easily the most fairy tale story of Moffat's era so far. Coleman's return performance was wonderful. Smith plays a brooding doctor excellently. Excellently. I'm glad they kept the Impossible Girl mystery in the background until the end, rather than let it overshadow the story for the entirety of the episode. The Pate, the Paternoster, Paternoster gang. Thank you. Uh, are always welcome to return. Although Strax's one-note humor began to wear a little thin on me toward the end. What? Richard E. Grant was phenomenal as the archetypal sinister villain. The Bells of St. John. Whilst the story itself was a little simplistic by Moffat's standards, what elevated the story for me was the production work. 
The direction was epic, the performances were all highly enjoyable, the musical score was notably well put together, and the look, feel, and tone of the piece were all generally outstanding. I think this is perhaps the most well-made episode of Doctor Who we've ever gotten. The Wrath of Akka-10, and he spelled it Akan-10. Or alternatively, The Rings of Boom Shakalatan. Sorry, all the good ones were taken. <laughs> Not my favorite episode of the series. I agree with Sean on this one. I liked everything about the story, except the story. The singing was great, the dialogue was remarkably well-written and even more fantastically performed, especially during the Doctor's grandiose monologue to the Parasite God, but the plot of this episode was just too convoluted, poorly explained, and unevenly paced for me to properly enjoy it. Incidentally, did anyone notice that directly after the scene where he tells Clara that nothing of sentiment, he has nothing of sentimental value, we see the Doctor wearing Amy's reading glasses? I thought that was a sweet touch. Cold War Although it wasn't a spectacular episode, this was a solid story, as I've come to expect from Gatiss. The Ice Warrior out of his armor was very creepy, and I'm glad they chose not to reveal too much of his physical appearance, and instead left it to the imagination of the audience. However, I disliked the use of Hads as a resolution. Though it was a nice nod to the past, it felt like a cheap trick on the writer's part, especially since the Doctor left the mystery of the vanished TARDIS hanging for the whole episode, instead of explaining it straight away when Clara first asked him where the ship had gone. Hide. Perhaps my favorite story of the series. This was a ghost story that became so much more than that. The Crooked Man was up there with the angels in terms of fear factor for me, and, even though it fit the tone of the episode, I kind of wish they hadn't turned around and made him a victim, rather than a monster, because he and his species had so much potential as creepy monsters up until that point. Palmer and Grayling were both wonderfully performed by their respective actors, and the We're All Ghosts to You scene was a lovely moment. Journey to the Center of the TARDIS a fun romp, if not the fan extravaganza many were expecting. I expected the, or enjoyed the timey-wimey elements, and the rooms we did get to see were cool. However, the three brothers were simply infuriating. The youngest was poorly acted, the middle brother was intensely dislikable, and the oldest was both poorly acted and intensely dislikable. <laughs> they may have been necessary for the story, but their story arc was completely transparent, and not once was I surprised by any of their revelations. The Crimson Aura I really wanted to like this episode, with its clever flashbacks, rampant northern accents, and Victorian stylings. But try as I might, I can't overlook the fact that the whole story feels rather rushed. The resolution is both too quick and too convenient, and in some places the music felt very hastily added. I couldn't shake the feeling that, a few days before airing, somebody looked at the series overview and exclaimed, Wait a minute! We're an episode short! Quick, get us! To the writing desk! Also, Strax really started to grate on me this episode. He's funny at first, but over time he just gets annoying, and I found myself longing for the well-developed three-dimensional character we meet in A Good Man Goes to War. Nightmare in Silver. As a huge Gaiman fan, I'm somewhat biased in this story's favor, but even taking that into account, I still think this was a fantastic episode. Clara finally gets something proper to do, whilst Matt Smith gives one of his best performances yet, in my opinion, as an absolutely loved the cyber planner, and the idea that the cold, calculating cyber mind had been influenced by the Doctor's formidable persona into becoming a sort of Doctor Cyber... Cyberad... Hybrid, a.k.a. Mr. Clever. Warwick Davis was excellent, the new Cybermen are certainly threatening, if not quite scary, and the direction and CGI in this episode were top-notch. As for the kids, I didn't mind Artie. But Angie? Well, let's just say I'm very glad she had exited the TARDIS by the end of the story. <laughs> the name of the Doctor. Dun-dun-dun! 
An amazing finale. Not quite in the same league as the Pandorica opens the Big Bang, but very enjoyable nonetheless. The Whispermen were criminally underused, as they clearly deserve an episode to themselves without the great intelligence bossing them about. Although Richard E. Grant's return was, of course, incredible. I don't mind River's inclusion, although I agree with Glenn that it cheapens the library stories a little. And if this goodbye is for her character, which I think is very likely, then her appearance here was a fine resolution to her overall arc. John Hurt's dramatic interest at the end was gasp-worthy, as were all the little cameos from past doctors. Hands up, who squealed a little when Gallifrey, a very long time ago, appeared on the screen. We all have our hands up around the table, Alex. The wrapping up of Claire's mystery was excellent, and overall this episode left me bouncing up and down in anticipation for the 50th. Hurry up, November. Okay, having taken up far too much time babbling with these reviews, I think I'll cut myself off before everybody's boredom becomes terminal. Hopefully I provided at least one or two new discussion points concerning episodes. Anyway, I have another theory on the silence that I wanted to run past you guys. But considering how long this email is getting, I'll save that for another feedback. Keep up the great work and happy travelings, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Um, I'm going to take a second to interject here because I forgot. And this and Alex's post actually, or a feedback actually reminded me of something that I was going to say. Something smacked me in the face this week about the name of the doctor that I absolutely love Was now. The about, name of the doctor? No. About, about the story. Cool Remember, my, as everybody recalls, <laughs> my biggest problem was the fact that River was there. Yes. Okay. I'm very it sure I remember that. in the face as to why River's there. This, and, and this is going to seem obvious to you guys, I think, because you guys were trying to say this, but it didn't really translate to me in, in such a way that this was River's chance to say goodbye to Eleven. Because even though River's story ends with Ten, at their at his first meeting of her, and her life essentially is over at that point, and that's the end of her, she, she's saved into the library, Ten gets gypped because Ten, or Eleven gets gypped because he met her at the end of her life and got to know her out of order. And so knowing where she ends and now where he and her start and her story, this was a chance for her to come back and say goodbye to Eleven, who has endured this out-of-sequence storyline, which we know that the, the, the Doctor deals with out-of-sequence time, nonlinear time, all the time. But it has to really be painful when you come as close to somebody as he did with River and be interjected by her into his time stream, not not the other way around, where he's interjecting himself into mm. other time streams, or you know, it, it, he's the one always in charge of the adventure. Right. It seems like with River, she's always been in charge of the adventure for the most part, and so this was a chance for almost a thank you and goodbye moment for her and the Doctor. That this is this really is the end and seals the deal. And it was it was kind of a I'm returning to say goodbye and as a thank you for everything you've done. And when I looked at it that way, it totally made sense why Moffat felt the need to interject her into this story, and it, and it works for me now. And it made this when it when it when I, that realization came to me, it it just kind of washed over to me. That, wow, that was really a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize for taking three weeks, four weeks now to get to this conclusion, but it it totally justifies now the reason why River is in this story. There that is go. not at all what I was trying to say. But it works for me, and I'm well, glad it, that it, it works for it, you. It's a point we didn't touch on. <laughs> yeah. 
It's yeah. But well, yeah, I think it, it works. You so. guys kind of you guys talked about the closure aspect. Uh, but you, that's what that was well, we why it danced around. Yeah, it, well, yeah. that's why I don't think it sunk <laughs> into me because we did we danced around it. So anyway, awesome. I apologize for hijacking feedback for a moment, but actually, I was waiting to ask you about that. Oh, because I saw your tweet, so I was waiting until we got to all that. Oh well, oh, so there you go. There you that go. worked well. There was a tweet. Yeah, he tweeted I earlier tweeted in the week that it smacked me in the head, and and, and I felt and a little Chrissy bad responded. Because, no, it was Brittany. Well, oh yeah, Brittany asked, "Well, what is it? Or, or are we going to have to wait until the show?" <laughs> and I wasn't sure that I could really like put it in. Do yeah, just as forty characters, tweeting, not so much. Tweet, you know, tweeting it out or even going to Facebook and posting something. I thought it'd be better just to explain it here. So there you go. And I'm sorry I made you wait, Brittany. <laughs> Up next is Brenda. Brenda writes, "UK, here I come." Dear Vortex Gang, in the absence of any relevant feedback this week, I want to fill you in on some ex- some exciting personal developments that are a bit Who-related. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I am going to England in August. My church choir from the Cathedral of St. Philip is singing daily services for a week in the St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and then another week in Canterbury Cathedral. To explain, there is a tradition in the UK to have sung services of Evensong, every afternoon in all of the major cathedrals and university chapels. When the regular choirs go on holiday, they allow other select choirs to sing these daily services as well as the three major services on Sundays. The standards are high, and it's a huge honor to be selected for any of these locations, but St. Paul's and Canterbury are especially prestigious, so we are incredibly excited for this adventure. I have been very fortunate to have sung services like this previously in 12 cathedrals, so I have had a chance to do a lot of the typical tourist things over the years. This time, I get to do some very special and unique things that have come together this week. First of all, I have now booked tickets to go through the Warner Brothers Studios in North London, where they have converted the sound stages used for the Harry Potter movies into a tourist attraction. They have the actual props... Costumes and sets, including the Great Hall, Dumbledore's Office, Diagon Alley, and the Gryffindor Common Room, among many others. My inner child is absolutely giddy, and I will be accompanied by two choir friends who share my enthusiasm, and who are, incidentally, around my age, so the older geek squad (laughs) is well represented. (laughs) Nice. So it's essentially a Harry Potter experience. Yeah, there you go. In addition, the three of us have now booked for train tickets to Cardiff and a tour of the Doctor Who experience. The only thing that could make me happier is if they were to have Matt Smith, a Matt Smith sighting, if they happen to be filming the Christmas special while I'm there. I doubt that will happen, but I can hope. And don't worry, there will be lots of pictures to share the experience with you. One of my colleagues is an expert photographer, and I'm okay myself, so there should be hundreds of photos between the two hours. Well, we we better get tours to a tours. Yeah, I hope it doesn't take two hours. A Between t- the two tours, <laughs> you're gonna go all the way to England and sing and go to all these things. And you only have two hours. <laughs> As I prepare for this trip, I'm having another sort of adventure here at home. One of my closest friends has never seen the point of Doctor Who, though uh, she and I share a lot of interests and opinions. Because I have talked a lot about Who since my conversion, she decided to watch. To try to watch the show. She didn't talk to me about it, however, so uh, make the novice error of starting with Rose and trying to work forward. Oh. <laughs> she watched two episodes 
then bailed on it for months. But she eventually decided to trust my taste and went back to plow through through the first season to see if she could find any interest. By the time she got to the doctor dances, she was all in, and she called me with such excitement. Since then, I have been trying to help guide her discovery, offering insights, classic Who perspectives, many of which I have gleaned from you guys, and some additional material online to enhance her experience. This has been such fun. I see why you started the podcast to to guide Keith's journey. Thus far, we have only tackled new Who, and she is a bit reluctant to go back to the classic episodes at this point. However, I'm making copies of the five Doctor's Revisited specials that have aired thus far to give her a glimpse into the history, and who knows, maybe she'll get the bug and explore some of the old episodes. Meanwhile, we're having regular marathon conversations about the episodes she has seen, and we are having a blast sharing this show. Let me add that that I discovered more differences between Netflix and Amazon in what they offer for Series 6 and beyond. Whereas Netflix only has the episodes and they stop at the end of Series 6, Amazon has a number of free extra features, and they have everything through the Angels Take Manhattan online for free to prime customers, just FYI. Important safety tip. Angels Take Manhattan. Okay, I need to, I got to remember, well, no, because I have all those on iTunes. I, say I need to remember that because we're, Holly's getting ready to finish up uh, half of Series 7, but I have those ones, so. Anyway, I'm sidetracking. <laughs> <laughs> I close with some thoughts on Neil Gaiman's comments in his online journal about who should be the next Doctor. He feels, as I do, that the person who next fills a role should be a relative unknown so that no extra baggage is brought in by someone who is already identified with other well-known roles. I have been reading many of the speculations about who will be the next Doctor, and I can't imagine any of them as the Doctor. I do lean toward hoping for an older doctor, and Moffat has said he was actually looking for an older when they were searching for Eleven. But when he found Matt, he knew he had gold, and I trust him to strike gold again. Doctor Who has become hugely popular around the world with David Tennant as the doctor, and there was a lot of moaning when Matt Smith was chosen was chosen his successor because he was so unknown. But just look at what he's done during his tenure to continue the show's rise in popularity to an unprecedented level. As long as the choice is a strong actor with a unique take on the role, I trust that Doctor Who can eventually become one of the top shows in the world. Won't that be a great day? Brenda in Atlanta. Yes, it will, Brenda. Here, here. Here, here. And probably an important note is that for all of us that are you know speculating about who's going to be the next Doctor, it probably will be a relative unknown. Unless you live in England, and then you're going to go, oh, I've been watching him on television for years. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, true. Yeah, I, because Matt Smith was in Party Animals before yeah, he was on Matt Doctor Smith Who. wasn't, he, we should say relatively unknown, but I mean, people knew of Matt Smith from prior things. Right. And I think that's somewhat going to be true with this doctor. When, as much as I'm pulling for Stephen Fry, <laughs> Stephen Fry, please, please. As much as I'm pulling for Stephen Fry or somebody like that, I think what will happen will, and, and I said that they need to go with somebody. I said well known, and that's probably out of out of out of turn. I think it needs to be somebody known by people, not just somebody out of the blue. And I think in order to keep that momentum, so that's why I say I think they I think their next choice still needs to be somebody relatively known to the UK, right? And maybe even recognizable to American audiences. But I don't think it'll be somebody like 
unfortunately, Stephen Fry. <laughs> Moffat, I'm going to ask you not to give the job to Stephen Fry just oh. because <laughs> there'll, be no, be there'll be no living you with Glenn if that day ever comes to pass. <laughs> Do you realize what we'd have? We wouldn't be able to sit in this table. I would no, be because his, head, his head would be so large. And he would have nothing bad to say about any story no, ever. No, <laughs> yeah. It would all be great. Objectivity goes out the window. <laughs> it would be like you reviewing a Matt Smith Cyberman story. It's uh, that's true. <laughs> There's no talking you down from those. So. Yeah, there really isn't. Who next? <laughs> Who next? <laughs> Who next? <laughs> Up next... Holly. Holly, I was trying to remember which order I told you it was in. <laughs> hey the guys, of the feedback. Uh, yeah, Planet of Fire and the Eye of the Scorpion. Hey guys, great last podcast on Matt Smith leaving. I'll be sad to see him go after the Christmas special, but I'm excited to see where we're going to be headed and who we'll be getting as the Twelfth Doctor. Planet of Fire. We see the farewell of two companions, Turlow and Chameleon, at least on screen. And we get introduced to Perry. I was rather surprised to see the Master pop up in this story. The mental control connection to Chameleon was good. I guess my thoughts about Chameleon were somewhat right from his first appearance. But I really felt for him at the end of this, at the end when he asked for the Doctor to end his life. He really tried his hardest to fight the Master to protect the Doctor, Turlow, and Perry. Loved the interactions between Perry and Chameleon and how she f- helped him fight off the Master's control of him. Turlow also finally gets some peace of mind and was able to go back to and rejoin his people. Perry's wanting adventure and not wanting to continue on with her studies got more and uh, got more adventure than she bargained for in her first outing with the doctor. <laughs> she wasn't too damsel in distressy and could hold her own. The scene where she's holding part of the circuit needed to run the TARDIS and the master wanting it really sticks in my mind. She's not going to back down at all, even though she's probably scared to death in her mind. I really loved the ending when she asked the doctor if it was all right that she traveled with him because she still had three months left of her vacation before school started for her again. And the doctor, the look on doctor's face, on the doctor's face was priceless. Plus, I also think Perry knew that the Doctor shouldn't be by himself after losing both Turlow and Chameleon. Eye of the Scorpion. This is my first big finish audio adventure with Peter Davidson, and I have to say I really enjoyed it. Very serendipitous that this story could kind of fit in right after Planet of Fire. I was laughing the whole time the Doctor was talk- taking Perry on a guided tour of the TARDIS. I really liked the female pharaoh. I could s- so see this happening on screen. I could just imagine the look on the doctor's face trying to explain, explain to Perry about the other sets of girls and Perry's quick on the uptake. The cliffhanger for the end of this first part had me practically mashing down the skip button, <laughs> skip ahead button on my iPod. The Ooh, doctor, was a good, good cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, that was a good cliffhanger. The doctor getting put in grave danger by the poison knife was too bad. Uh, by the poison knife. Too bad that that celery he wears only works for poisonous gases. <laughs> Aramim and Perry made quite the team trying to solve who was behind her attack. The Doctor and Cats do not get along very well. I love how the Perry convinced the workers who uh, building the Sphinx the Sphinxes to use Elvis Presley's likeness for them, and also her reasoning for it as well. Looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts on this episode. Holly from Wisconsin. Thank you, Holly. Yes. Some great points. Which we will address shortly. 
But next, Chrissy. Chrissy writes in, I'm Prepagalium Brown, and I can shout as loud as you can. Dear Vortex Boys, I have a funny story to tell. Well, it's only funny because it had a happy ending. Last week, I was looking up flight prices so I could get an idea of how much my plane ticket to galley was going to cost. I went to double-check my hotel dates so I could book my flight for the appropriate arrival and departure dates, but couldn't find my confirmation number for my reservation. I thought I might have deleted it accidentally from my email inbox, so I called the hotel customer service to ask if they would resend it. And I'm really glad I did call, because they did not have a record of me reserving a hotel room at all. Needless to say, I started to panic. But, and this is the happy ending, the lady I spoke to said that there were few openings at the Renaissance still at the discounted galley rate, and they were actually for the dates I originally wanted. I got my reservation all tied up, and everything was great. Moral of the story, keep checking the galley hotel reservation block, because something might just open up. Also, the Marriott and Renaissance customer service people are insanely nice and helpful, so don't be scared to call them if you need to. That had to have been panic-inducing. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that all worked out for you, Chrissy. I also need... I to... think Chrissy would have slept at the airport if she had to. <laughs> <laughs> or on the floor. Yeah, Mel and I would have yeah. let her stay with us if, if you know... Open offer to take, our take, listeners take if you need a hotel though. room. I got a hint. You're going to sleep on the floor, take an air mattress. Take an air mattress. I also kind of need to vent a little frustration off. I know none of my griping will change anything, but I'm already tired of people speculating about who the next doctor is going to be. Stephen Fry. <laughs> That's not speculating, that's just wishful thinking. Go ahead. There's a difference. On behalf of the Vortex Boys, Chrissy, I'd I'd like to apologize for the first half of this podcast. Um, It's fun to speculate. It almost feels like people are eager to kick Matt Smith out and bring the new person in. I'm ready. Get him out of here. Well, that may not be the intent, except for Glenn, (laughs) but I think it's kind of unfair to Matt, especially since he's been so great. For crying out loud, the guy hasn't even left yet. That's just me, though. I know people are going to talk and theorize and whatever, but it just bugs me. Personally, I'd like to spend this last little while enjoying the 11th Doctor instead of shoving him out the door. It's like having an ailing grandmother who's promised to leave you her house, and you don't wait until after she's died to start measuring for new drapes. Okay, that might be an extreme example, <laughs> but it's the same kind of tacky attitude that just bothers me. I, c- I could see some fans having that attitude, but I think for the most part, it's as soon as they get an announcement made, it's going to die down, and we're going to focus back on Matt and his it's, departure. It certainly will, and I think that's the I think that's the reason why there's so much speculation is because it's been announced that he's leaving. We've got this huge gap now between the end of the seventh series and the fiftieth anniversary, so people are clamoring to new things to talk about. There's with nothing who, new to talk and about. That's what's <laughs> to, to, what is new to talk about: speculating. And now, what I, what I don't like are the people that are making these drastic predictions of well this is who it's going to be or this is why it has to be that kind of thing and so those are the ones that bug me but everybody popping in and saying well this is what i'd like to see do it i don't have a problem with that because it's it's, in fact some people will say somebody i'll go yeah he would make a good doctor i I could i could go with that or some people will say so and so and i'll go not even close but yeah you know (laughs) i don't have so much of a problem but i could see where it would bother somebody and i think we like keith said i think you hit it the nail on the head is once it's announced and it dies down 
the focus is going to be will be on, back on Matt leaving again, and we'll we'll all be enjoying. And the, fo- mention, and the focus will go to John Hurt and who he really is <laughs> yeah. and what's going on there, and it'll be back to the story. And Chrissy, just keep in have mind a whole new range of things to annoy you with. <laughs> just keep in mind announced. we have three full seasons now of Matt Smith to go back and reminisce and enjoy. You know the best of Matt, anyway. So yeah, and 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 quite possibly the best news: none of them are lost. Yeah, <laughs> I have copies on DVD of all of these episodes except for season seven, which I will buy as soon as it comes out. So BBC can't screw it up. That's right. <laughs> Reviews: Planet of Fire. This is one of my favorite Fifth Doctor stories, and not just because we get a dressed-down version of the Doctor. Anyone who was following along Friday Night Who last week will understand what I'm talking about. Ha ha. I love finally getting Turlow's backstory and seeing him become this leader-type character instead of just being this scared kid that keeps getting locked up all the time. That's really shortchanging him because he does get some great moments in other stories, but they kind of pale in comparison to what he does in this one. Big Finish does give Turlow some more backstory, but they can't let the Doctor know the Turlow background because, well, the Doctor finds about finds it out right before Turlow leaves. Yeah, I think that sentence makes sense. <laughs> it totally made sense. I just read it wrong. I want to talk about Perry for a little bit, since this is her debut story. So often, Perry gets dismissed as this wimpy little girl in a bikini that screams a lot. But I think she's one of the bravest companions the Doctor's ever had. She gets taken into the TARDIS only because Turlo doesn't know what to do with her after he's rescued her from drowning. She ends up being chased by the Master on an alien planet. She has no idea how she's going to get home, yet she can still stand up to the Master, even though you can tell she's scared out of her mind, and tells him off anyway. We've already seen the things that Perry goes through during her time with the Doctor. She doesn't always have the easiest time of it, but she always seems willing and able for an adventure, even if it's never what she expects, and things often go way over her head. And in this, Perry is probably someone I can is Perry is someone I can relate to. You see fans often wondering what it would be like to travel with the Doctor and what kind of companion they'd be. Most people say they'd be more like a Sarah Jane or a Joe or even Donna, brave, smart, savvy. While I'd like to say I'd be one of those three, or any other awesome companion, I think I'd be more like Perry. Someone who gets thrust into the situation, gets scared and panics, and has to rely on herself more often than not, even in the midst of all her doubts and fears. Sometimes Perry succeeds, sometimes she fails. But that's real life. Perry exemplifies this so well, and that's what I love about her. The Eye of the Scorpion I've listened to this story before, but I couldn't remember all the details, so I thought it was going to be a pure historical at first, all of the Aztecs or the Romans. Even though it turns out there is an alien threat going on, it's still a great period piece for audio, and they can make mention of some of the more, shall we say, historically accurate costuming, or lack thereof. Oh, I thought the costumes were great. Oh, yeah. I was very pleased with them. Without getting in trouble. Is it bad to say that I thought of Sean during the banquet scene and Perry was trying not to look at the scantily clad dancers? Chrissy, I was totally staring at the scantily clad dancers during the banquet scene. And it was audio. I've listened to a bunch of big finish stories with Perry and Aram. How is it pronounced? Aramim? Aramim. 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 And they really are great together. They kind of remind me of Jamie and Zoe with that dynamic of being from two different time periods traveling with the Doctor. They become really good friends, and it's fun to see that friendship grow and mature in the audios. They get a great start in this story when they team up to find out who poisoned the Doctor and who's trying to kill Aramon. In fact, part two of... I said it. Don't laugh at me. In fact, part two of the story reminded me a lot of those episodes in the early years when William Hartnell would be off on holiday, and the companions would have to carry the story. Maybe that's what happened to him. He wasn't poisoned. 
Peter Davison went on holiday in the middle of the big Finnish recording studio. <laughs> I didn't think of that. I've been rewatching The Keys of Marinus a lot lately. It's becoming one of my top sto- favorites of the black and white stories. I don't know if that was a deliberate nod to the early days of Doctor Who, but I like to think the writers had some of that in mind when they let Perry and Aram team up without that central figure, the Doctor. It really worked well, and I enjoyed it. All in all, this was a wonderful story and a great start to yet another big Finnish-only companion. Is Aramem the first audio-only companion that has also traveled with a TV companion that you guys have reviewed? I know you've discussed Charlie and Evelyn, but I don't know if you've done a combination Team TARDIS yet. I'm excited to hear what everyone else has to say about her. Well, my roommates have invited a bunch of people over tonight, so I have to go pretend to be excited about it. Um, hooray. Talk to y'all later, Chrissy. P.S. I have to give Sean and Glenn some big-time thanks for suggesting things to review for my blogging project. I was really stuck for Fourth Doctor stories to review for Librarian and the TARDIS, but I really enjoyed the two I ended up reviewing. I didn't expect to enjoy Megalos as much as I did, but it was a good one. Also, the audio story I've chosen to review for four is one that you guys have talked about, so I have to give you the credit as well. The Fourth Doctor has been a tough one for me to get through, but I really appreciate the help you guys have given me, so thank you. You're welcome. And I'm glad you enjoyed Megalos, even though Sean doesn't like it. Sean is going back on the fence with Megalos from the standpoint that it's been so far removed from his memory that he, he just may not he remembers not liking it but that's really all I can say about it I think you were just freaked out because Tom becomes a cactus Superman 3 on the other hand <laughs> still sucks alright well thank you Chrissy that's it right we're ready to move on to reviews 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 do you got a synopsis I do good and it's a short one because I forgot to bring the disc <laughs> So this is not the official back. I can't of believe we went box. through all this rigmarole to get this stupid thing. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't bring it. I put it in with it's... my Doctor Who DVDs, and I went, "Ooh, there's another one in my collection." It was an unplanned one, but there's another one in my collection. It's like, should we talk a little bit about that? Well, it's like we went, we went on this thing, and we had horses, and we found the Holy Grail, and I left it at home. <laughs> <laughs> like, Just so the listeners know, this was the process this week, and I'll make it really quick. When we learned last week that Preliminative Fire was very expensive on Amazon.com, I think we all had this reluctance of, maybe we won't buy that because nobody really wanted to buy it at that price. And Sean thought he for sure could pick it up at Barnes & Noble this week. Sean was delusional. So we got the list from Chrissy that we, we, we referenced at the beginning of the show, and I started running down through the list of the things that I don't have on there. And I thought, you know, Planet of Fire is one of those. And by Tuesday, I thought, you know, I'll go look and see what the prices are. And I found it on WB for like $27. And I thought, well, that's manageable. That's about what the you know SRP is on it. So I went ahead and put an order in for it. But I didn't want to pay the large shipping fees to try to get it here by Friday. But I thought three to five days, maybe that'll be a good safety net. Maybe it'll get here by Friday if Sean doesn't happen to get Oh, the other thing I did is I went to Barnes & Noble first and checked the in-store stock. And it was out. And so that, that was the only place that was going to be available to us in town. So I went ahead and ordered it. Well, Sean, of course, then I text him asking me if he's got Planet of Fire yet. And he, well, we played phone tag for a while. And I think he even left a message saying, well, I'm on my way to Barnes & Noble. So if you know anything or you know, <laughs> it was very much back, one of these. do I need to go there yet? I'm in the car <laughs> going to Barnes & Noble. You know. So Sean got to Barnes & Noble and 
It was out. There was no room at the end. So, and you kind of <laughs> scrambled online to see if you could find something, but you didn't want to pay the the huge. Yeah, fee, well, it was the same thing. Expedite Amazon had it uh, for, for an outrageous price, and I, I checked. I checked all the normal suspects. I checked Amazon. I checked Hastings. I checked Best Buy. I checked everybody, and and nobody had it. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go to Barnes and Noble. And then it was not to be had at Barnes and Noble. And the guy at Barnes and Noble even admitted, he said, "Yeah, they, we just performed a, a fairly large sendback, and there were several Doctor Who titles." which I was kind of surprised at, but they were part of this. And I'm going, I know why. I could be in some real trouble now. So I ran back to my computer and and did some hunting. Also found the the, the $27 one on the the WB shop. But in order to secure the overnight shipping, it was an additional 15, 16 bucks. 15 bucks, yeah. And so then all which would have made it as much as Amazon. It's, it's a forty dollar purchase at that point. Which what was another thing is I saw it on Amazon. I haven't seen an Amazon for the forty, whatever it was, forty eight, forty nine dollars. Forty eight, I believe. It was almost fifty bucks. And I thought, well, I could get that because I have the Prime account, and it'll definitely get here in two days because that's free. I get free shipping on all my all my two day shipping stuff. But I thought that's still fifty bucks at that point, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't know whether I wanted to pay that much for it. So, but fortunately. It showed up Friday morning at my house, and I texted Sean one more time and said, did you ever get Planet of Fire? He said, well, funny thing about that, no, I didn't get it. So I texted him back and said, well, we've got it co- I've got it covered. It's here. So yeah, and it's, it was kind it's, of our adventure. At it's really Planet a good thing that I hadn't yet pulled the trigger on that because I, I did. I, it was 3 in the morning, and I'm hovering over. I've got all my credit card well, information punched got, in. I wish we hadn't played fun, because then I called and, you. I even called you back, I think, on Wednesday or Thursday, and you didn't answer. I was probably I at work or something. Oh, I, did, I think I left a message. Saying that we were no, that was the day that I, I called you back when we were playing phone tag. But anyway, I called I, I called again and you didn't answer. So. And I apologize to any listeners who maybe would have joined in on Friday night who and then stumbled into this bear trap of what well, you mean it's not available. <laughs> um, and that's why I make the commitment that for the rest of the year we're covered. I'm not going to yeah. do that to you, uh, except for Ghost Light, which again forearmed is forewarned. But uh, oh. so yeah, there's that. I think I know why this one was on the list. Why? There's not a making of documentary due to insurmountable rights issues, so maybe they got the rights issues sorted. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe I did see that. In fact, it's listed on the yeah. back of the DVD. It says uh, this is not included because it's on the. I just I don't think that that would be. It's on the region too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's on the the UK one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is. But it says on the back of there that it that it's not. It, in fact, it gives that exact same explanation on the back. Yeah, of this, that, that's so, I think that's. Yeah. I can see that. Was anyway, a to do a so edition. that's where we went with the plan. And then, of course, I don't bring it tonight. But um, <laughs> it is, it is again, sitting in my collection of Doctor Who DVDs. And I went over there and looked and went, oh, look, I have another one. It. <laughs> and I'm getting Are a lot of Peter Davis. <laughs> I just realized really? that. Oh, yeah. Because well, I picked up Kindon and, oh, that's true. Uh, and Snake Dance. You have those. And, we of bought, course, I have the, we the Beginnings, you. which has one in there. Caves yeah. for Christmas. Yeah, I got Caves for Christmas from... Uh, Keith and Sarah, and so, yeah, I'm getting quite a, and I've got the five doctors, and so I'm getting quite a, a large Peter Davison nice. era. So yeah. that's good for you. <laughs> now, you're going to buy them all I, it's, eventually. It's one anyway. of those where you know, and I've always liked five better than seven, but it'll be one of those ones. I think the more five I watch, the even more I. I think I, I kind of had the stigma of five that you did not as drastically, but that because he replaced Tom, it was just. It was hard to get into his stories, but as an experiment, one of these one, uh, not anytime soon, but one one of the things that I've kind of outlined for myself is I'm going to go back and watch all of Peter Davidson's era in order, just just in order, bum 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 bum, and and see what. <laughs> That's a good idea. Well, no, I, I 
I was just clarifying. <laughs> no, I'm just saying it's a good idea. We have never done that for you, but it's a good idea. I thought of that for uh, the first season of Tom. Yeah. 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 Because I, I haven't seen that, that in order. Yeah, you haven't seen that in order. That. Yeah, order's out of rated. <laughs> Out of rated? Out of rated. Order is out of rated. Order is out of rated. Oh, no. That's another one we have to go get now. It's out of rated. Forest illegal is to kill a deer kings. Uh, but uh, just just to see if uh, maybe getting that overwashing experience of dealing with that one era and seeing them in order, because a lot of them do have those little tie-in bits. I mean, yeah. even Planet of Fire opens with... Daleks, and you know he's still frustrated over the loss of Tegan. Right. Well, maybe not frustrated, <laughs> but we'll get there. Let's let's move on to the review. We'll move on to the review. The master reestablishes psychic control of his robot slave Chameleon. He wants to hijack the Doctor Stardust to reach Planet Sarn, where he seeks the healing power of Numestation gas to restore himself. Once on Sarn, Turlo comes face to face with his destiny. Dun dun dun. I liked this one. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Um, but this has always been one of my favorites, not because of the things <laughs> that people expect, because that would be sexist, but um, <laughs> or misogynistic or whatever. Um, but anyway, you're I, so Stephen Moffat. <laughs> it, it's a good departure story, I think, for Turlo because, yes. as as Chrissy pointed out, it really does kind of. You, you Maybe a little too late. Him. Expand his backstory, which is kind of strange that, that that you'd get to this point and just kind of okay, here it is, you know. But you do it, it does a good job of spelling it out and laying it out and exploring it and letting you know kind of who he is and where he's from, and it doesn't feel rushed at all in, in that way. Um, and, and I don't know. It, it does make sense to me that we get all this explanation of who, where his history, because. It's, he's leaving, and the way he ends up leaving, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, like you said, it didn't feel rushed. I didn't think. And it's it's kind of another retribution story for uh, Turlo because we got one at the end of the Black Guardians uh, series yeah. with. That's the one I always forget. Uh, enlightenment. Enlightenment. I don't know why I never can remember that. Um, You're so in, not enlightened. In enlightenment, <laughs> we get you know obviously his. Um, uh, Rectification because you know he, uh, the whole time he's been an assassin working yeah. for, the, for the Black Guardian himself, and so he does. He gets the redemption there, but this is another one where it's really kind of there's a payoff for that redemption because um, he st- it, and I think well I, I can't say that because we're not reviewing that yet. But somebody I re- read or heard said that even after he sort of no longer is trying to kill the Doctor. You Throughout t- Turlo's story, you still have kind. Of, he kind of has this. Um, you don't really trust yeah, him because of the just, way he was introduced. He has this not so trustworthy aspect of him, and so I think this kind of closes that chapter as well. And at the beginning of this, you know, you don't know what he's doing. He's doing things behind the doctor's back, and he's trying to, you know, hide certain things. And so you wonder: are, 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 is he coming to a point where? This is going to happen again. Do we have to, you know, we're going to have a falling out. Yeah. Is there going to be more distrust? And and I so I think that's handled really well. Um, I love Anthony Ainley in this. I love the master in this, even though we get Tiny Master in a box. It, I, I, I like the master storyline, and I liked the Turlo storyline. I didn't think they meshed very well. Oh, I thought they were great. Uh, it, the, se- it seems like they should have, <laughs> like this was a great idea 
oh, let's take the master to a place where it's regenerative properties and he can restore himself. Um, how come they didn't come up with that idea when he was looking for a new body yeah. instead of shrinking him? It's okay. Yeah, he shrunk. He needs to get big again. But that seems like they they come up with this cool idea of okay, let's have the master go do this. Oh, we need a reason for it. Okay, so let's shrink him. I liked the master controlling Chameleon. I like the use of Chameleon in this. It's a great. Uh, they realized it really well in the story, but it just feels like for the most part, aside from the doc, the master trying to get to this fire, Turlo and the Doctor are dealing with other stuff until it finally comes back around, and it's just not enough of a tie-in for me that I think they they don't mesh as well as they could have. So many of the master's appearances, especially during the fourth <laughs> Doctor story, deal with this. Aren't you dead? <laughs> we've written him off, and he's gone. And then he shows up, and there's no explanation about how he got out of the mess. And th- this kind of is last the, last we saw him was King's Demons, yeah, right? Yes, uh-huh. where he was dead. <laughs> I mean, they put him in the real Iron Maiden. That was where we left. Right, right. But he's back and tiny. And we don't explain why. I mean, whether we get the, oh, you've been experimenting with a new tissue decompression eliminator and used it on yourself. Yes, and I would have gotten away with it, too. I mean, <laughs> okay. I mean, you just It's par for the course. So anytime the master shows up, it's like, uh-huh. That's why, to, that's why I think to this day, I don't believe he's dead. I mean, he was digested by the TARDIS, and he came back, and well, then he died. Yeah. And then he came back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, even to the point where we physically have seen him die. It's not that we. It's not. It's not a Davros where he might have got out of the ship. Right. It's a. I saw you gunned down, <laughs> and he came back. So I was like, eh, he'll be back. We actually see him burned in the yellow flame this time, and so this is the one that I never was able to. And I think I brought this up when we when we uh, talked about uh, Mark of the Rani. And the fact that how did he how did he get out of the planet of fire thing? Because at least in the King's Demons, you know, it, he's put into the. I don't remember. Is that it ended with? Or was that his demise? He was put in the real Iron Maiden. I, don't I thought so. Because at, at one point they were putting him in the Iron Maiden, and he's that. screaming, "No, no, no!" But either. then it turns out the Iron Maiden is his target, and he escapes. Yeah. But I thought at the end of it that he did get put into it. But I didn't think that was the way that ended. But it seems like every time that I, you know, the the master is is thwarted. You never see kind of the conclusion of where he goes or what happens to him. No, Sometimes I, I he does the, escape. I think in the King's Demons, okay, uh, they do the Battle of Wills for control of Chameleon. Right. The Doctor kidnaps Chameleon and they take off. Right. I thought they just they kind just, of ran yeah, away yeah, and we left never, him there. You never oh, saw never what happened to the Master. Okay. I so, don't know. It's just par for the course. The Planet <laughs> of Fire was always one of those ones that, that for, for many years I thought, well, that's just the end of, of the Master there. I mean, they just that was, that was it. No... No remorse from the doctor. No, I mean, he kind of looks remorseful, but it just—that's it. He's done. And then he turns around, and shows up, Mark of the Ronnie, with very little explanation. And then when he's asked, "How did you survive?" He doesn't really give any explanation <laughs> there as well. So this has always been one of those ones that kind of bothered me about that. That that, that how did it? What what happened in between here and there? And maybe some big finish or some novels actually deal with well, that. Well, um, apparently this—he was written out. Uh, officially in this one because his contract Anthony Ailey's contract was up with the BBC so they fully intended this to be the end of the master that we're done and so we're going to kill him off and they gave him that very dramatic won't you even show mercy to your own and then he you know yeah what was that all about 
and they thought they were being very clever. And then, of course... I just assumed it was going to be kind. Your own kind? That's what I assumed. Hearing the line. <laughs> and I don't so buy we, into it. <laughs> uh, Pip and Jane Baker, apparently, when they wrote uh, Mark of the Ronnie, they explained it. Because they, they all of a sudden, the master came back, and it's like, well, we have to talk about it. So they, they had an explanation for how he got out of this. And it was cut from the oh. script. It's apparently in the novelization. Ah, good. So you can go back and read the novel. If you can right. find one that's not $84, you can read the novelization yeah. <laughs> of Mark of the Rani and, and find out how he okay. survives the fire. Yeah. Or maybe uh, ask Ben. I'm sure he probably has that one. Yeah, he might. He might. <laughs> but, um, so yeah. I, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. I want to talk about the bikini. I want to talk about the form fitting. I want to talk about the way the sunlight glistened off the wetness. <laughs> and I want to talk about how absolutely fantastic Mark Strickton looked in it. <laughs> I, I didn't get the impression that was his swimsuit. You thought it was his underwear? Yeah. No. He just kind of comes out. It oh, looks like a Speedo. It's, it a look, speedo. It's, it's a Speedo <laughs> style underwear, I thought. Yeah. No, it's, it's, to, it's totally uh, swim trunks. Why, the, but there, why, but there's no, why, why was he wearing them? He but... didn't go change. He and came out and saw her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I better take off well, this. You know, gingers burn easy. So. These, <laughs> <laughs> heaven, heaven forbid that foot of fabric around his waist to shorts get wet. <laughs> and his expression when the doctor comes in and he's like, oh, the signal moved and everything, and he's got this 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 look of pure guilt, you know. He caught his hand in the cookie jar or something, and the doctor looks at him, you're soaking wet. <laughs> it's just like, you can see his mind going, what possible explanation could I give? This <laughs> That's it. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to like in this story. I thought Perry. It was. It was a good introduction to Perry. Chrissy brought up a lot of good points about Perry, as did uh, Holly. We uh, could almost call this a Perry companion archive. Uh, right, I think. I think we've got two very very strong Perry stories I here. Think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And while sometimes I, I can see where people give her the name of Screaming Damsel, she does scream a bit more than some others, but she also has some great strong-willed moments of, well, I've got to do this. I'm not going to mm-hmm. back off. I'm going to just stand up to the master, even though it's not really the master, and she knows that. But Well, something the impression that I got is she's very strong. She's a very strong character in this one. She's a very strong character she, in Caves, which will be the next story. She, she's strong, televised. But, but then she also has moments where she whines. Well, she does, but she's it's almost like her. It's almost like her character starts to become the Perry that we know and kind of complain about when she ends up being paired with the Sixth Doctor. Is when I notice that her being more of the less of the strong character and more of the kind of damsel in distress. So I don't know if that was a, a character turn that the writers took or whether the, the you know. J&T kind of felt that she needed to not be as strong of a character uh, at that point. Mm. Or it was just the fact that she clashes so much with the sixth Doctor. She be. didn't have that chance to clash with the fifth, doc- or, yeah, fifth Doctor. And I think that if he had stayed the fifth Doctor beyond Caves, I think their relationship would have gotten a lot better. And that's what encouraged me about them in uh, Big Finish 
in the, in the the story we'll review next because I felt they were very good together, very strong together. So I don't know. I think she gets short shifted because of uh, short shifted because of uh, Colin Baker's era. Not necessarily that it's Colin's fault, but that just that the what, era what just kind of gets yeah. that stigma in general. Well, and Perry did scream a lot in Planet of Fire, but. I didn't. Re- I, Mel picked up on it, and she was. Uh, there was one in particular that she moaned at, and I was like, "Oh my God, will you knock it off?" Because nothing had really happened, and she let loose with a blood curdling scream. Yeah, I kind of remember. That Most one. of her scream moments, I thought, were fairly scream justified. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, w- w- and and none of them were. Maybe they were bad, but not certainly any worse than. Well, let's be honest, Elizabeth Sladen in the Five Doctors when she rolled five <laughs> feet, five feet maybe down a slope, down a slope, a sloped embankment. Uh, and and screams, oh my, you know, because the end of the world is here. Um, that's a Doctor Who thing. You just kind of right. overlook that yeah. and, and 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 go with it. I think she holds up remarkably well as a companion. That being thrust into the situation, well, I mean, the, she the wakes up on another planet. She she's alone <laughs> through the first two stories, being chased by Chameleon, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't really meet up with the Doctor until three, and even a little bit past that. And the fact that she's continuing to go on and not letting... How, how easy could it have been for her to just go, okay, here, here's the device yeah. you want. I give up. I mean, she, and she, she didn't. She, she wakes up on another planet. She's threatened She doesn't even it. know what this device is or who the doctor yeah. really is, and she's on board of protecting she, him. She's it's, threatened by a, a, a psychotic robot who, who shapeshifts and changes form. She's threatened by a guy in a suit. A gangster, as she calls <laughs> a gangster. him. A <laughs> um, and then deals with all this lava rock and not knowing who to trust or why, and still manages to roll with the punches and go with it. That's a you can't ask for a better companion introduction than that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, her, her her backstory might be a little rocky from the standpoint that you know, well, she comes from American money and apparently going to or is it Tunisia or Morocco for she was going to Morocco, the summer Morocco. with some guys is acceptable. <laughs> And then <laughs> running away from home and stealing from her stepdad are, are apparently okay because she needed the money. But we, uh, those are things we can overlook because, well, we like Turlo and he tried to kill the doctor with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Good yeah. point. So, and she does look smashing in a bikini. Anything else about the story you guys want to touch on? Uh, no, I... I I think they Peter closed. Wingrade. I think they, <laughs> I think they closed Chameleon's arc fantastically. I think they closed Turlo's arc terrifically, and I think that they introduced Perry in a very good way. And in, 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 in really overall, I thought it was a very enjoyable story. And they, you know, did away with the master because from your story, it sounds like that would have been, you know, the swan song for the master as well. So isn't it interesting that we, in a way. The whole River Song thing, which so many people thought was, you know, refreshing and new, in a way has kind of already been done in Turlo's backstory, that we get this companion on board and he's doing all these things and then it's not until the end that we kind of learn his origin. It's not the same, obviously, mm-hmm. because of the out-of-sequence nature of it, but I wonder if that maybe is something that uh, Moffat lifted. Might be. Maybe took the idea. Maybe. Because he's, he's made comments before about the Davison era being among his favorite, hasn't he? Or am I making that up? I don't recall. We'll have to watch The Revisited next week and find out. Yes. He's not in it much. <laughs> I well, haven't rewatched it. It's, it's, it's a busy... It's, it's, it's a crowded target. <laughs> he really only says like two things, I think. Well, 
David's he was David Tennant's hardly and, and yeah. he, Peter's his doctor. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the other thing that I will say for this, even though there. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why this story for me works a lot better than some of the Peter Davison ones is because we don't have that crowded TARDIS. Mm-hmm. We've yes. got two companions and that seems like a very nice balance for, for Peter Davison to deal with. Three. I don't well, count chameleon. Chameleon is <laughs> technically more of an adversary. He's an adversary. He's being used as a tool. I'm sorry. How many times does he have to plug himself into the ship and do something weird before you kind of go? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is only his second appearance. Third, proper, well, proper appearance. Yes, yeah. because the deleted scene. Otherwise, right. Well, he's roaming around the hallways doing. No, something. he's at he's at the beginning of something. Uh, maybe it was just the deleted scene in that. Story. What was, was it, the story in between here? That was there was King's Demons, and then well, there were several stories between King's Demons and this one. Are there? It wasn't uh, Resurrection of the Daleks? No, oh, oh yeah, Res- well that's the one. Resurrection. They, 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 they just came off of that one. Frontios. Oh yeah, Frontios is in there too. Which we haven't seen, so that wasn't it. Seems like one of those has a. Uh, we, we want. We want uh, the Awakening. The Awakening. The Awakening. Yeah, that's the one, one where he's yeah. briefly mentioned. Right. Right. But the rest of the time he's roaming around with Cyberman. He's mentioned and, the and there's so. a deleted scene with it. So right. Um, so yeah, it's. I I, I I thought it was interesting. Uh, Strickson, Mark Strickson commented that, um, at least again according to Wiki, that had he known that the show format was going to change because they went from the 25 minute installments to the two 50 minute episodes, he would not have left. That he would have stuck around for the next season. Who said that? Mark Strickson. He he, he felt that Turlow was really kind of being short shifted from a character development standpoint because the the, shorter episodes episodes require more cliffhangers. And so there's a lot more action pieces and a lot less development of of the characters. And if he had known they were switching the format, he would have stuck around. And Peter Davison commented that if there had been more stories along the lines of Cave of Adrazani, he would have stuck around around too. So think about that for a minute. That they're possibly almost in an alternate universe would have been at least one more season possibly with Peter Davison, Mark Strickson, and Nicola Bryant mm-hmm. in the TARDIS. I think mm-hmm. that would have been fantastic. I think that would have been a good I think it would have been a really strong. good and a it's really a sh- strong it's season. Strong and it's a shame Planet of Fire goes the way it does where I, I can't imagine how Big Finish would be able to shoehorn something in there to have that trio on the TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. wouldn't be able to do it yeah. in this story. Yeah, you can't, can't work it out. So. Well, speaking of Big Finish... Uh, let's move on to the Eye of the Scorpion. In ancient Egypt, the Fifth Doctor and Perry become involved in the intrigue surrounding the assassination of a female pharaoh. That's it. Is that all we get? Well, I, I went with the enough. short one. It's good enough. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, good, Sean. I'm glad to hear that. Especially when you were teasing us earlier <laughs> saying that you needed to queue up the <laughs> prices right now. <laughs> because I thoroughly enjoyed this story. I loved this, this one. one. It's a lot of fun. And it's funny that Chrissy mentions the Aztecs and the Romans. This, even though it's not a pure historical, and, and we haven't had a pure historical since, I think, uh, the Gunfighters, I think it was the last one that they cite as the last pure historical. Was it? Um, well, this no, one has um, that. We had an audio that was pure historical. No, 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 I mean of, of, the, of the show series, of the series proper. Oh, okay. That's the last one. Uh, what was the audio that we had? Was it, uh, it was the one where, with, with Six and Evelyn... And they think it's an alien invasion, but it's not. Oh, that's right. They go back with to the Queen. Uh, Queen uh, Victoria. Uh, uh, which, which, which? Oh, Queen Victoria, wasn't it? Is that who they were dealing with? Oh, um, yeah. And we did determine that. Yeah, it's the uh, the. Uh, the it's the, Evelyn's for Evelyn's first um, story. 
Oh, bollocks. Uh, it doesn't matter. The, <laughs> uh, but no, the, this really has a feel. Incident element. This really feels like Marco Polo. Conspiracy. Marion conspiracy. conspiracy. This really has a Marco Polo, <laughs> Aztecs. It um, does. Uh, uh, the Romans. It has that feel. And it's and it's real enjoyable. And even though there's an alien influence throughout it, and we've got some you know new technology that's being used by the the enemy, it just it really kind of has that nice little nods to history and and the the whole you know I don't remember uh, her as a pharaoh. Yeah. I mean, See, when when they landed and they went through all of this, uh, it, we don't really find out that it's an alien entity until what episode quote unquote three. Mm-hmm. And I was really hoping they were sticking with true historical. Mm. I thought that would have been really cool to see why doesn't the Doctor know of this pharaoh? What happens? Why? And so I was kind of disappointed that the alien influence was there. But the alien influence ended up being kind of a smaller part of the entire thing. No, it really thing. does ultimately. Yeah. And it doesn't really – I mean it, it's, it's, it's a tool until the end when it becomes yes. sort of its own, you know – it, it's it's not really an alien until the end, right? It's and, and and it it's being used as a tool up until the end, and at the end, it really becomes the adversary. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So that 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 was kind yeah. of refreshing. But yeah, I just I, I thought that I, I love the, the the opening where he's he's showing her the rooms, and he opens the one door, and it's supposed to be the library, right? The and big library. She says, yeah, it's the big library, and she says, "Well, there's a lake in there." <laughs> <laughs> You want I to just keep a lake in the library, and it's it's the whole idea that the the TARDIS is still moving a lot of the rooms around and shifting things around, and um, she's like, like, "We've the, been walking forever. Can we just rest?" I like the interactions between Perry and the Doctor. I think that they're a real strong team here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, and, and Perry when she goes off and on her own with Airmen. Yes, that Perry those are, and those two are so phenomenal. Yeah, those are terrific, and and you could tell both of the actresses enjoyed playing this because they really play off of each other very very well the characters are very strong they they feel like fast friends like they've become mm-hmm. very very good friends even though Aramim knows she has you know uh, duties and, and 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 laws and things she has to hear, adhere to and then of course as she lets off later that you know she doesn't believe in the gods yeah. she doesn't you know there's a lot of things that she doesn't agree with in this Egyptian society and so of course, that, that, that leads more importantly as to why she ends up going and traveling with the doctor. But just her struggle between, you know, her friendship with Perry and and the conflict she has of, of being uh, the the next anointed pharaoh, I thought that she played, they played that very well. And I yeah. thought it was, that was a very interesting dynamic. There's pretty much nothing about this story that I didn't like. I had a little bit of apprehension initially when we sat down in Egypt because so many of our Big Finish audio adventures with the Fifth Doctor have wound up being these pseudo-period pieces with an alien and just not done very well. And so it was, uh, I, I went into a very, very much on the high coming off of Planet of Fire with Perry and, and, and kind of getting into that mode and going into this one and, and wasn't quite sure what to expect initially. Um, but the story just grabbed me immediately, and it's a wonderful setting. It's a really well-told story. Um, I love Aramim as a character. I love her as a pharaoh. I love her as a, you know. <laughs> the uh, the gentleman who played her, uh, Captain of the Guard, what was his name? Yanis? No, not Yanis. He was Sam? No. It starts with an A. And Trenak? 
Antronek. There were moments that I kept thinking, wow, Antronek really kind of sounds like Nicholas Courtney. I thought that too. Good, I'm not the only one. <laughs> I know there's no way they bring Nicholas Courtney in to not play the Brigadier, but it sure kind of sounds like Nicholas Courtney. And then he would say something as like, no, it's not Nicholas Courtney. And then he'd say something else. I was like, wow, that really sounds like Nicholas Courtney. <laughs> so I stopped the audio and had to go look it up. It's not Nicholas Courtney. No. Um, but I, I, there were moments of his arc where I kind of began to suspect maybe he is at the villain at the heart of this. That, that mm. He's got these little moments that he says something that's kind of like, I'm eh, not sure I trust you anymore. And then we get the big, you know crucible scene where they're putting and they're like it's you and it's your poison and we found it in your room and blah 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 and i'm like ah that's too easy where's the doctor to come save him and then the doctor showed up to save him so i was like okay good um i i Char- uh, perry and aram feel very much like charlie and Kariz in, in some yeah, ways mm-hmm. i could see they, that mm-hmm. they've got that very easy back and forth um companionship role uh i thought they did a, a phenomenal job not only i mean it, I think it helped to strengthen that relationship by having the doctor on holiday, by yeah. having him lying in a, uh, a state of disrepair from his scorpion venom or whatever it was. Which, sure. And Perry was the, more of the same go-getter that we kind of saw in Planet of Fire, where if Pharaoh wasn't going with her, she was going to go on her mm-hmm. own to investigate that temple of, uh, and everything like that. So it's it's great that she's like well i better go with you just to be safe and then that's how they build that friendship yeah. and and i like the fact i'd forgotten that and i don't remember if they actually say this in planet of fire or not that perry is not just going to school which is that part i remember but she's going to school specifically for um botany botany i thought they mentioned it in planet of fire did they mention it because she's talking about... I don't remember they mentioned it in Blind of Maybe they did, but uh, they do in uh, Vengeance uh, on Varos and... Not Vengeance. Uh, what's the one with the disfigured guy? Time Lash. Time Lash. They mentioned it Time Lash. Um, I'd forgotten that until she said, you know, I could help him. I could go get some... Well, I don't know if they grow here. And I was like, oh, yeah, you, you've got that. <laughs> oh, and she mentions it in the... Was it the Vervoids? No. Tear the Vervoids? No, what's, what's the name we'll, of the... We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's in the that's in that stretch. I that's in that stretch. <laughs> so I, th- there were a lot of really good things to like about um, uh, Perry here. The villain I thought was a little—I don't want to say last minute, but oh, it's a stasis box, and it's a prisoner that crashed on Earth, and it's a telepathic vampire. What was really what, what okay. I did like about the villain was. The idea that it's taking over all these hosts, and just by getting touched, you may not know it, but you get taken over uh-huh. also. And that stuff with Perry of her being the spy, I really like that idea. Of she doesn't know she's the spy, so they got to keep her it secret from her. I, I was really thinking when they had that conversation in the chariot, and he says that there's a spy among us. I was expecting it to go back to the captain of the guard that oh. he's, you know, he is the victim of this, and he's the bad guy, even though he doesn't know that he's the bad guy. And then he says, no, it's Perry. And I was like, <gasps> <laughs> didn't see that coming at all. So that was, right. it was a genius twist. Love really that. Was, and I, I liked Perry's constant trying to make references to things and nobody getting it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like this. Oh, you don't know what that is. Yeah, okay. I love the uh, the drop of uh, when he's talking about I was at a bash with Nero once. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the call back to the Romans. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, and the uh, and the idea that 
she gives them Elvis as a sphinx and is totally justified mm-hmm. in like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's <laughs> because the Nazis are going to come shoot off the face <laughs> yeah. in, in the 1940s anyway. So Which again is uh, for, for all of the, the drumming that Perry takes as a companion, this is kind of a uh, she knows her history. She does, yeah. And she's an American. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. she knows more about history than we do at times. <laughs> well. Come on. World War II. She's, we know a lot about well, we, World War yeah, II. Yeah, but we, we've had... <laughs> it's yeah. American. It's world history. It's not American history. Yeah, but we know a lot about that one. <laughs> that one's kind of... That one's kind of an important one that they kind of push on us. <laughs> That's one I know I've learned a lot about in, in school, so... I can't give her too much credit on that one, <laughs> but yes, it is. It is. It is delightful that she does know the history, especially when she comes across a lot of times as kind of just that flighty girl on the TARDIS, you know. So, anything else? I don't think so. I think, I I think really. I think it's my only Beatles gets a mention. Yes, <laughs> a very good one. Her her mom's favorite was Paul. Paul, yeah. I, at times, I did have trouble keeping track of who they were talking about, just because I got the confused by the names. That was the only problem I had with the story. So that really falls in with the whole "there are Beatles people and there are Elvis people." <laughs> uh, that must have been a point of real contention in her household. <laughs> could if be. Mom was a Paul fan and she's an Elvis fan. Yeah, it could you know. be. It could be. All right, two great else? stories. Yeah, two great and and. Guess what, Chrissy? We enjoyed two Fifth Doctor stories. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, what we got coming up next week? Next week, uh, Friday Night Who on the 14th of June is the first four parts of the infamous Inferno with John Pertwee, uh, which, if you don't own, is on the list of going away, but it releases in a special edition format this week on the Tuesday. The, Tuesday the 8th, I think, is what that date is. Is it the 8th? I think it's the 11th. Maybe it's the 11th. It's somewhere. In, yeah, well, that would make sense if Friday is the 14th. Yes. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Almost. And then uh, next week we will have our reviews. We're going to continue with our Fifth Doctor discussions uh, for the month in celebration. Uh, we're going to cover the IDW comic book, Prisoners of Time 5, the Fifth Doctor Revisited special from BBC America, and the Big Finish story, Destiny of the Doctor 5, which I don't Smoke have. and Mirrors. Smoke and Mirrors is the title of that one. So, there's that. Very good. All right. If that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.